Today's episode is brought to you by the True Identity Demo on React Records. That's right. Two episodes back, you heard a Ram talking about his new band, True Identity, going to have a record out on React Records. Well, their demo is done. Five songs. You can hear them right now at reactrecords.bandcamp.com slash album slash demo dash 15. Five songs, a Ram playing guitar, Jim singing, bunch of good dudes in the band. This is something you got to check out. This is new hardcore, and it is great. Now, if you don't want to try to figure out that whole address that I just gave you, just go to the React Records page on Facebook. Just get on Facebook, look up React Records, scroll down their wall. You're going to see a link to it, True Identity. You can't miss it. Demo 15, you'll see the link. You can check it out. While you're there, you can like that page. You can check out all the other stuff that's going on on React. So definitely go check it out. Definitely go check out the True Identity demo. I'm going to be seeing them this weekend. I'm stoked. It's Rainfest in Seattle. Anyway, other than that, it's the same stuff I've been asking. Please go to iTunes for I've Known You Too Long. Leave us that five-star rating. Maybe put a review up for us. Tell people about us. Share links to these episodes off of my Facebook page or off of the Twitter account for Nobody's Knows. It's at Nosy Nobody. Follow us on Twitter. Get involved. There's going to be more stuff coming. I know I've been teasing that. I've been saying that, but there's work being done, so there are things coming. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get to the episode. Here we go. Hello, welcome back to another episode of I've Known You Too Long. My guest today is Lex Spar. I have not seen Lex for many, many years because Lex has not been in the country. She's been living abroad. Korea, Australia, maybe other places, I don't know. I haven't seen her for a long time. Lex, years ago, used to sing in a band called Ricky Ticky Tabby. That's, I think, one of my first memories of Lex. And she's cringing right now. But there's evidence that she did this in the past because there's record available and probably some video proof somewhere. Lex was a prominent person at the Old Firehouse, a place that we have talked about a lot on this podcast and is very important to the local scene in this area in the Northwest. And I'm fairly certain that's the first place Lex and I met, though I'm not entirely sure. So I'm just going to welcome her in. We're going to talk about this stuff. Welcome, Lex. Hi, Dave Larson. Did I get anything wrong? Nope. Okay, but you did cringe at the Ricky Ticky Tab. Oh, sure, yeah. It's awesome. I have the record. Fantastic. All right. Lex, I have known you too long. You have? Yeah, well. You've actually known me very long. I've known you for a long time. Yeah. And I know the the general time frame. Linguistically, I just have to point out that there's a very big difference between two and very. Very mm. is positive and two is negative. Ah, but you see... I think that I've known you very long is a less compelling title for a podcast. It is. I've known you too long is kind of like, my God, what have I done with my life? If you finish that statement with the end of a sentence such as, I've known you too long to even remember when I met you. Well, what I've been doing. I know. And you've heard the podcast, I know. Right? I just had to point that out. With you, I know the general Oh, I know time. the day. If you know, then we can just get this done and get to figuring out mm -hmm. where you came from. So we can talk about the extensive amount of stuff that you and I have to talk about. I'm at the, the old firehouse. I'm walking down the hallway when you open the front door of the old firehouse and you've got the men's restroom on the right and you've got the office on the left and you've got the women's restroom on the right and you've got the coat closet on the left and you are sitting right there in a chair and you have a black cardigan sweater on 
and you have a black headband across your forehead, not like on the forehead like you're a jogger from 1983. No, your hair is pushed back, kind of slicked back in like a t-shirt sleeve headband. And you have a small box full of, you're laughing, but you have a small box full of maybe seven inches, maybe flyers, maybe zines. And you are maybe mad at me because maybe Matsuoka said something bad about me or funny about me that I took in the wrong context. And maybe you took in the wrong context, but you're kind of pissed. And I'm kind of like, what? All right. So hold on. I have a lot of things to say about this. You're saying that I had the cardigan and a headband. Uh-huh. Are you saying that the cardigan came later with your Kinko's employment? Because I don't think it did. No. I'm I think you were just I, I, I think you I... were rocking a cardigan in the same way that Ron is rocking a knit sweater in some of those old hardcore photos. <laughs> I went to a dance in high school. Okay. First, pretty much the first dance I went to, but it was like semi-formal. It wasn't formal. Uh-huh. And this girl that I knew, Tammy Lockman, maybe she'll listen to this someday. She actually gave me this cardigan sweater to wear with what I was wearing. Uh-huh. And I loved it. Uh-huh. And so from that point on, I would periodically, if I and I found one eventually that was black that I liked, mm-hmm. I would wear a cardigan. However... I always thought of it as being kind of like a formal thing because that was my first encounter with it. So this idea that I went to shows with a cardigan, I don't have that memory. I, I went to shows in cardigans. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm a, a straight edge guy. Now, this this headband thing you're talking about, I wore a black bandana all the time. No, no, this then. was not a bandana, my friend. You're, you're mixing me up with some of those other dudes. I don't think I cut a <laughs> sleeve out of my head. I, do you have a picture of it? No, but it is burned into my memory. <laughs> it could have twisted a little bit, but you're talking about a time when I wore a black bandana it all the looked time. Good, I am no, not. Well, then you are you. talking about the wrong thing. Then <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was very hardcore. Okay, and that's look, and you know what? It's possible because a lot of times. I was doing stuff before I had to go to work at Kinko's. If you if cut wearing... a sleeve off of your shirt and put it on your head, you are punk as fuck. I'm not Christian Hosoy. Like that's that's I that would have worked, but I didn't cut sleeves off shirts because I didn't wear sleeveless shirts. I think <laughs> that's true. Okay, so that I that is true. I think it's I think you're remembering the bandana and sometimes I would put it I would I would tie it over I'd pull it all the way over my hair and kind of tie it in the back and then I, when I had long hair I don't think I I still I did have long no, hair when you met me. No, this was not a bandana and it wasn't actually a t-shirt sleeve. I was just using that for right. a Right. But see what I would point, do is I would but... fold the bandana and then I'd tie it around so it was just like more like suicidal style or whatever. <laughs> You'd and, like to think. <laughs> I thank you cuz yes, you're right. I would like to think, but it wasn't. This is already Awesome. Okay. It, it, it was awesome. So the point is, is that like that could have been the same bandana. Maybe it just kind of looked like a sleeve. But you're saying that I was sitting in the chair in the mm-hmm. old firehouse mm-hmm. and I was mad at you. Mm-hmm. you you're you going to be a person who met me angry. Mm-hmm. What was I mad at you about? I don't know. I'm mad at you now. I know. No, I'm not mad at you <laughs> at all. I'm mad at you in a little no. bit. <laughs> this is, it, you know, it was some kind of drama. Like, um, it, oh, my God. There was. Okay. We were essentially children. Yes. Like I was in my 20s, my early 20s. I was still in Matsuoka high school. Matsuoka was a year older than me. Uh-huh. But, a lot, but like there was some of the bands had people in high school and stuff. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that people would get mad about at that time oh, God. were so <laughs> asinine. Right. And so 
The thing is, <laughs> I may have well have been told or been under the assumption that you were on the wrong side of some issue. Mm-hmm. Like maybe <laughs> I made a flyer that had like something stupid on it. Did you? Probably not. Or maybe, maybe I did. Why'd you bring up that example? I don't know. It's a dumb example. So you were working at the old firehouse. Yes. What show was it? I, I don't recall. We were there for a show? Yes, because okay. I was there working and being at a show. Do you believe this is early 1993? Yes. This is probably one of the very first old firehouse shows. The very first old firehouse show was November 26, 1992. Oh. And I know this because I played it. And I know this because it was Brenda Egan's birthday party. Yeah, I wasn't there yet. No. No. Nobody was there yet. Brenda oh. Egan rented out the hall for her birthday. This is the birth of the old firehouse. She rented out the hall for her birthday. And it was such a great show because cause it was previously a building that was owned by the YMCA. And the YMCA had Boy Scouts there. And her father was involved with that. And... She rented the hall out. We had a show. And after that, I was involved with a few different um, teen advocacy groups on the east side. And a couple weeks later, I was approached by a woman who rocked up at one of the meetings and said, hey, were you in a band that played at that show? And I said, yes. And she said, I'd like to do more of that. Would you be interested? And I said, heck yeah, I would. And she said, do you know where we could do that? And I said, well, Brenda Egan rented out the YMCA and we can do it there. Obviously, if Brenda rented it out, we can rent it out too. That woman? Kate Becker. Of course. Now, I think it's funny. What, what date did you say? November 28th? 26th. 26th. Okay. And I could be very wrong, but I know it's in November. I could be wrong about the 26th, but The next that's... show didn't happen at the firehouse, though. It happened at the Bellevue Y. Well... Isn't that fair to say? Wasn't there some Bellevue Y before the firehouse became the firehouse? I don't think so. Oh. Hmm. I don't think so. I, don't... I feel like... See, you remember me sitting in a chair in the old firehouse. Yeah. But I feel like I remember you at a table stamping hands or taking money. Mm-hmm. And then when you bring up Matsuoka, didn't you say something to Matsuoka one time like, you're cool? No, I said, you're cool. As in, I like you. As in, your band is amazing and I love everything about 1007. But you've heard you've heard the way it's recorded at the beginning of the record. Yes. Because there's a record called You're Cool. Lex, yes. he named a record after what you said to him. I was so mortified. <laughs> no, no, this is how mortified. I didn't even know at the time. This is how mortified I was. When I when Kate told me that's what the name of the record was and why the name of the record was I was in her office and I went outside and I sat in a group of bushes and cried. Oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. I cried in the bushes. Well, I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, because and I And I also didn't know that it was about you. Because I thought 1007 was cool. Cuz 1007 and I went was up cool. And I said, "You're cool." And he thought I said, "You're cool." Well, you hear how so he had another <laughs> woman that he knows record and so the album starts with someone going, "Oh, you're cool." And that's how he that's how he heard it. I know. But see, there's a lesson there in the way you say something, the way other people perceive it. Uh -huh. And that's 
I mean, it gets even worse now that we're in this internet social media thing where people can't even hear tone in the posts and they think you're either yelling at them or they think you're being nice. And sometimes it's exactly the opposite. I just want to go on the record that if you're going to cry over hurt feelings in the scene, the best place to do that is in the bushes. Especially if you're sitting down on like the birch bark, because that's what I was doing. So I that's, probably got splinters. That's super sad, Lex. And cried in the bushes. Okay, but see now, I feel like I met you at one of the early shows. It may have even been before I was totally moved down to Seattle. So because you're okay. talking about November 28th or 26th, somewhere at the end of November, November of 92. Yeah, yeah. Within a week or two, Ron Gardepi has been on the phone with me saying, Larson, get down to Seattle. I can get you a job. I've got a place for you to live. Mm-hmm. So. Throughout the middle, the beginning and middle of December, I was getting all my stuff packed up from mm-hmm. Bellingham and mm-hmm. getting down. And immediately, that's when it started. And it, but that's the funny thing is, is that that's when the old firehouse started too, which had mm-hmm. nothing to do with what I was doing. It just happened. Like right. it was just like this coming together of things. But it wasn't just a coming together of things because things have, had been going really, really strong since 89 with these teen advocacy groups and it was years and years and years and years. Well, it of was bringing it f- to four. Those are a lot of <laughs> years and years and years and years. Yeah, okay, you four. Did. That's perfect. I just counted them on my finger. That's well, now, four the, years. well, hold on. If, if if each one of those was plural, that means it had to be at least eight. Okay, it was four years. <laughs> So, yeah, four years, um, which seems like a really long time when you're in middle school and high school. And Oh, my God. It's years and years and years and years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't take that into account. Yeah, it's you, like dog years. You're talking about from the time when you're in middle school up through the time that you're getting out of high school. Yes. So it's a, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime because I graduated high school in June of 93. Okay. And yeah. I started with my youth advocacy work when I was in eighth or ninth grade trying to get a skate park together. All right. Okay. So uh, that makes sense to me. And that makes sense to me why it seems like, I mean, if I can, if I, there's nothing I can think of that I started in the eighth grade that I was still doing upon graduation in high school. I mean, not even skateboarding. I mean, that's, so that's kind of unreal. Yeah. And think about how many changes you go through in that time. Right. And how much stuff actually happens in your life. Right. So Kate works for the city of Redmond, Mm -hmm. parks and rec department. Right. The teen advocacy group. The primary one that I'd been working with for a few years at that point had gotten enough attention, enough media attention, enough word of mouth attention that Kate knows where to rock up if she wants to find people for shows. Where to rock up? Yes. Do you not use that in America? When you said it earlier, I thought you had just tried to say walk up like she walked up to you. No. What do you, what do you mean rock up? Uh, I might just be an old man you and don't, don't know. don't say that? Rock up? Yeah. You like, rock up to somebody? Yeah, you rock up to the show or <laughs> you rock up to your friend. You you walk up to them, uh-huh. right? Because usually that's how you, that's the that's okay. the way you get I'm to a place. I must have picked that one up in Australia. <laughs> We're going to rock up to the show. Uh-huh. We're going to rock up to, I'm going to rock up to my friend <laughs> and say. Stop making fun of no, me. No, no, no. I'm not making fun of you because you're referencing something in a, that people say in an entire community. So I'm not an entire continent. An entire continent. Have you heard anyone say it outside of there? No. Okay. I that's, don't think so. No, I like it though, because how do you know that we're not going to be saying rock up? Look, I mostly live in a house in Shoreline. Like that's where I spend most of my time. I don't know if these kids are saying rock up. You might be, you might have your finger on the pulse. 
but I of, of rural Australia, <laughs> right? But I guess I just don't understand the the use what it means the usage okay. of it. So rock up, it literally is it interchangeable with walk up? Like uh-huh. Kate walks up, yeah. We're gonna walk up to the show, or we're yeah, going but maybe is with it, a little bit more it, confidence. Is it go to? No, no, no. It means to approach something with a little bit of confidence. Rock up to it. Uh huh. So he just rocks right up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it it's something definitely in, you know, when you're when you're telling a story, you know, you can say, "Yeah, I fully rocked up to Value Village and there was like a major bust happening and, you know, um it but yeah, you're kind of saying Why did you, why did you rock up to Value Village? What you needed confidence to get some No, you rocked up to hand. the scene. Like you rocked up to what's happening. Like you're just I God, linguistically, Dave, are you, we're we're going into sociolinguistics. Is Not, that what's no. happening? Here? No, no, no. I just, I guess I, you're right. We, you know, we we tend to go off on tangents okay. on the show sometimes. <laughs> so why don't we bring it all the way back? I okay. like that though, because now rock up. So okay. so Kate gets the firehouse going. You're one of the people that's involved. Mm-hmm. Maddie's there. Mm-hmm. Matisse? No. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Okay, she comes along and around the beginning of that because I know yes. I met her around the same time too. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Like I'm gonna say that Matisse comes in she rocks up into that <laughs> she really did yes she really did um maybe like five months later okay because it wasn't a place yet it was still a thing we were renting but you know what's funny about that is part of the reason why i feel like there's bellevue Y before there's a full-blown old firehouse is because there were shows at the bellevue Y, like 1007 with like the whipped cream and the like throwing all the stuff out yep. in the crowd and that wasn't old firehouse child, right yeah yeah and it was that was before said the, child with the glitter oh my god cups of glitter oh I don't, we haven't done a lot spent a lot of time talking about said child on the said show a little bit means but not so much. much to me all right yeah that show the show said child with glitter um really made a massive impression i on don't me. think i saw it yeah. Was it, it? Was it? They didn't play with 107 that night, did they? They might have. Oh. I don't have my show list with me. It's That's in fine. a storage unit in Olympia. But we're going to get all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Eventually. Okay. Oh, yeah. So that's fine. Okay. But you and I meet clearly right in the beginning of 93. I have to go on record saying something. What? The thing about Matisse and um, things with my timeline, this is to the best of my recollection. Oh, yeah. She could have been right there from day one. Totally. And I can throw it off by talking about Bellevue Y shows before old firehouse shows, because I think Redmond Y was Redmond Y shows before it actually got the name, the old firehouse. Oh, definitely. So we got the name old firehouse only once the YMCA's lease on the building ran out. Right. So, so it kind of depends on what you consider. And so I can, I can be talking about that and say, I think it was the beginning of 93 or the very end of 92. What I, what I could be talking about is actually six months later. Yes. And, and just because I'm talking to a person and they're like, yeah, I was right there at the beginning of that. That's, that's fine. We Um, were all right there at the beginning of it. It, the, yeah. (laughs) I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. No, no buses, no throwing. (laughs) Except apparently you're saying we didn't meet as friends. No, we didn't. When do we become friends? After that, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, like nearly immediately. Maybe nearly immediately, but I don't remember us becoming friends. I just remember us being friends. I don't know how we became friends. Okay. Okay. What you just know the first time you saw me. Yeah. What do you? Yeah. So I've known you too long. I of course didn't know you then, but when when do you remember us being friends? Right around that time. Yeah. In terms of when do I. 
remember us being friends that would hang out. Mm -hmm. It's over the next year, slowly becoming as I'm getting to know more people in the area. And then you and I become pretty tight friends by the time it's like night summer of 94, like the Undertale piece coming out and stuff. Like we're like you would show up at the apartment, you know, or you would. So that's something. And Ron was really stoked on your pyramid of hardcore hierarchy or whatever yes. like so all of that but we'll get to that because that's post meeting it is post meeting so here's the thing okay we meet like a lot of people who i'm going to know from the east side at the beginning of the old firehouse mm-hmm. era mm-hmm. early 93 mm-hmm. so that's fine we've got it that's a start we'll go from there when we come back to it fantastic who the hell are you where'd you come from okay my name is alexis rain spar I was born July 7th, 1975, in Amityville, New York. How long did you live there? Three years. So you don't remember any of it? I remember a lot of it. You can't remember the first three years of your life, can you? I can. Lex can. I remember dreams I had at that house. Did you write them down? I've written them down since, yes. Um, But yeah, in 79, we moved out here. Um, My grandpa worked at Boeing as a computer engineer he had worked in computer engineering for the ford motor company and then for boeing mount st helens erupts in 1980 and i remember the ash falling and um then at that time my grandpa goes on to move to nasa in florida where he becomes a computer engineer for nasa and that's what got us out here Uh, my parents split up and my mom was like, New York is not a place to raise a kid. And we're moving to Washington State so this kid can climb trees, which I proceeded to do. You came out here specifically to climb trees? Uh-huh. At three? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you've lived in, you lived in Washington then from that point forward? Yes, yes. How did you get out to the east side? My mom was working at the Bastier College. And uh, I think she had some colleagues who lived out on the east side and because the commute from seattle proper to the east side only took 10 minutes by car it was just super easy and maybe rents were cheaper okay than in seattle okay the bastier university was on uh, bastier college i'm not sure what kind of institution it is now but it was on the ave oh, okay right across from peaches which i think is a gap now yeah i don't know <laughs> it's yeah. also changed yeah i i there's University Ave in 45th. Is that that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the Bastyr University was on the second floor on the on one of the corners of okay. 45th there. Okay. So you remember all this stuff clearly. What was it like for you going into like grade school? Awesome. I went to a school very much like Nate Turpin did. Um, it was a complete alternative school. And my elementary school had about 90 students, sometimes 70. My middle school was the same. I had a completely non-graded education until I got to high school. and um, So you just regular public high school? Yeah. Okay. Really hard. After the supposedly superior education leading up to it? It was. Wait, it was superior or it was really hard? It, my education prior to high school was superior because I was able to develop a love of learning. Okay. And um, I had some really fantastic, um, my, my education was primarily about personal time management and emotional regulation and um, how to interact with people. And um, it, was, it was very... 
So you didn't do like math quizzes? I didn't have a math class till high school. Okay. Did you did you do like foreign languages? Yep. French since I was in third grade. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And um like I don't know. What what did you learn to write? Um, I didn't learn how to spell, but I did learn how to write. I learned how to spell after high school. Well, that's okay. I, th- <laughs> I think some people ha- still haven't learned how to spell until after high school. Yeah. Um, no geography. I, oh, but I learned a lot about um, electricity and wiring buildings. Um, I learned about did building they, did, things. Did they? Okay. So right? was this like a, a, a daycare at a technical college? <laughs> because we actually rented out a building at the Votech. It actually, that is what it was. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I mean, but it was the kind of... You should have gotten into some kind of like HVAC like career. It was the kind of school where I literally wore roller skates for an entire year. My entire third grade year, I was on roller skates in the school. <laughs> One day, someone's dad rocked up on a horse. One of the ways that we learned about physics and about propulsion was we all put on roller skates in a windstorm and got giant black plastic bags and we made them like our sails and we held them up and we were propelled along by the wind. And we all were out on the street skating with giant sail bags. Were there adults involved in this education? I don't think so. Sometimes we had two teachers and sometimes we had three teachers. We had two classes. We had the big kids and the little kids. Oh, that those were the grades? Uh-huh. God. <laughs> I've never heard anything like this before. Okay. Well, Nate this went is... into it a little bit. Well, I guess. We had the same process of bringing people up. We had the... Oh, he just didn't go into any of these other details. Okay. About it, so. Well, I don't know. His school might have been a little bit different, but... <clears throat> Um, so you, you you had that same process of bringing is, people up. This is what I did for elementary school and and middle school. And okay. then had I gone on to the high school version of this, that would have been best. Oh, right. Best being the school. You mean you don't mean it would have been the best thing for it you. Wouldn't, it would have been a school that was called best. Correct. That a number of people that I know went to. Which I tried so hard to get into. And my mom said, no. Your mom said, no, we got to put you in a real school for just a little while. My mom said, you have had a very fantastic life up until this point, and now you need to see what the rest of people in the world experience. Yeah, she was probably right. She probably was, and I cried so hard. I wanted to go to Best so bad. All of my friends went to Best um, because my elementary school and my middle school were feeders into Best. Right. It was a it was a three school system. Right. Um, and she said, "No, you have to go to Dub and Lake Washington High School." And you have to go to L-Dub and you have to experience what that is like. Mm-hmm. And if after one year you are completely miserable, you can go to best. And you stayed. Um. Yeah, because the next year she said, if after the next year uh, you're completely miserable. Because you said, you I'm, com- I'm completely miserable, send me to best. And she said, no. Yeah. I mean, uh, pretty much each year it was like, no. Right. In a year, you ask me again. And we'll reassess the situation. Right, right, right. Okay. When did um, music become something that that became important to you in this time? Okay. Well, um, seventh grade. Okay. Um, Getting into middle school was great because um, in sixth grade, that's when when skateboarding was like 
enough to be on my radar. I graduated elementary school in 1987. Okay. And that was also, I believe, 86 or 87. Um, there was a little hall near my house where there was like a barbershop quartet that practiced. And at that time, The Accused also had a show there. And I remember walking past or driving past and seeing this place that I loved because um, that's where I took my little kid dance classes. Mm -hmm. And so like it was a place that I was completely happy and familiar with. And then it was filled with punks and, it, you know, like people <laughs> with leather jackets <laughs> and mohawks. And you hadn't seen that before. Not in real life. But you sound like TV. But I was like, I was just like, this is it. This is great. This is like they're in my place. They're in my place. That it came, means it, that, it came to you. Yes, that means they're here. They're in my place that I'm really comfortable with because I dance there three times a week. Right. And so, like me and them have something in common. <laughs> that that's awesome. Like, yeah, this because it was about you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. When you're in seventh grade, everything's about you. Oh wow. Okay, but, no, so that but, was in seventh grade. But, that was earlier. But but like, you were yeah. you were already um. But you were so you already knew when you saw those people in real life, you already knew that that was something that you would like. That was fully something that I liked um, because I think I got into punk through Cindy Lauper, like from looking at her and being like, why would someone look that way? No, like, holy shit, someone looks like I feel. So you're talking about girls just want to have fun video. Yeah. And like that. And you just connected to her look like, boom, that's, that's it. And so the color, the color. Yeah. The color. I'm a, yeah. Like so she had so many colors yeah. and I wanted to have so many. I mean, I, yes, I could have already had so many colors, but as a little kid, like I was just like, heck yes, color. And yeah. So knowing that she had so much color and shaved head and I wanted to have a shaved head and I wanted to have a mohawk and my mom took me to get my hair cut and I told the lady I wanted a mohawk and the lady said, no, you can't have a mohawk because you're a girl. And I said, well, if I can't have a mohawk, I just want you to shave my head. And she did. And so- How old were you? Sixth grade. Okay. Sixth grade, I got my head shaved because that was better than a mohawk, I guess. Oh my God. <laughs> High five to Kirkland Beauty School. Oh, it was Kirkland Beauty School that did that? Yeah. They, they, so were, it was they probably... were fine with sending a sixth grade little girl out with a bald head. Yes. Rather like, than a mohawk. Rather than a mohawk. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Great. Also, by the way, when someone tells you how to cut their hair, that you give them the haircut, they said. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming that that girl <laughs> was like 17 and went to uh, the hardcore conservative Christian church across the street. Oh. No. She can't get a a worldly job like that <laughs> maybe okay yeah i don't know but that woman changed my life oh because she gave you she shaved your head and yes. you're in the sixth grade yes okay so then now you're a punk girl mm -hmm. at your alternative grade school still mm -hmm. so cindy lopper shaved head vision streetwear wait skateboarding vision streetwear skateboarding mm -hmm. those are those are different there's a gulf nope, between there's that. no there's difference a, there is no how do you get from Cindy Lauper to Vision Streetwear when and you go to a school that has ninety students mm -hmm. and ten of those students are in the sixth grade? Yeah, and 
one of them listens to Cindy Lauper, the other one listens to the Beastie Boys, the other one's into skateboarding, and the other one is into World War II. Those things all are the same thing. You are all in. You're six- all spreading around to each other what you're into. Yes. And there's no weird clicks or no. the, you're just there's ten of us. I like Cindy Lauper. You like skateboarding. She's got weird hair. Your board says Vision. I'm gonna get a Vision streetwear shirt. Yes, and please tell me something about the Beastie Boys and World War Two. Okay, because <laughs> that's. I mean, I'm just telling you about the four biggest personalities in my sixth grade. Oh no, class. that's that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> All right, so so that basically, as far as you're concerned, that's your introduction into punk rock. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to music before that? The radio. Yeah. You listened to the radio before that. Mm-hmm. So what kind of stuff did you did you like prior to hearing Cindy Lauper when you'd hear it on the radio? Oh, radio music. Um, Like, here's the thing. If, if someone asked me that question yeah. about grade school, right? Because mm-hmm. we're talking about like fifth grade and before. Yeah. What did I love? I loved ACDC. Mm-hmm. I loved the Grease soundtrack. Okay. I loved the Annie soundtrack. Then the we musical. have a lot in common, now, my friend. Now, what do those things have to do with each other? You. That's the thing, though. Those were influential things in my life that were a big deal. I liked ACDC, but I also liked this singing, dancing gang thing. And then I also liked this <laughs> weird orphan thing. I couldn't figure it out. Like, why I like why I liked those songs from Annie, you know? Um, okay. I was very, very, very into the Purple Rain soundtrack. Well, that's okay. You and a lot of other people. Right. So that yeah. was one thing. Annie soundtrack. Your mom let you listen to Prince when you were in grade school. Yes. Yes. Um, my first record was Men at Work Business as Usual. Pretty I good wanted, first record. I wanted Twisted Sister. My mom wouldn't have it. He's got that bone on the front. I he's know, holding that like bone. It's, it's, you're talking about Stay Hungry? I certainly it, am. Okay. So, and he's got the shredded clothes. I mean, it's definitely scary to someone. I can understand your mom. I had, I had my eighth grade, uh, this would have been at the same time. Yeah. Teacher actually uh, made fun of me for having a rock magazine that had him on like the cover. And he stopped and, and held it up in front of the class and was <gasps> like, here's the thing about it. This guy was an awesome teacher and he was hilarious. And I actually laughed about this. But he was like, do you think this is normal? And I was like, oh, yeah. And he, and he was like, OK, I think that looks crazy. That's and like, put it back there. but the thing is, though, like the kind of teacher he was like th- that could have been a traumatic thing. Right. Yeah. Where he could have been like, you're an idiot. And then everyone laughs at me and I grab my stuff and go, screw you all and go out in the hall. Right. No, this was more like everyone laughed and he just kind of shook. But the way he, that teacher approached everything, mm-hmm. he was so inclusive in everything that he did. It was more like he was able to make it seem like, I guess I just don't get it. Like, maybe it's just me, yeah. you know? And like, so I, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel bad. And no one was like, yeah, you're an idiot. Cause you know, some of the kids were like, do I get to look at that when you're done? So. Right. Okay. I just <laughs> thought of something that right, was really good. interesting. So was into Twisted Sister. I mean, into like, I liked them. Oh yeah. I was really, really into the culture club. Oh, okay. Again, color. Mm-hmm. Then I, additionally, I was really into Prince. Okay. Color. It all makes some sense Then to me. I was also really interested in Dead or Alive. <sighs> Hold on, though. Again, color. But what... Ta- A little time has to go by No, that was 1986. That was 1986, really? yes. Okay. So what do these all have in color? They all, in, in common, is color. But now I'm also looking at that. I'm also looking at gender. Prince, Boy George, D. Schneider, they're all dead or alive. They're all dudes dressing like women. Uh huh. And they're all really into wearing, color, wearing makeup. Putting, <laughs> okay. Interesting. 
interesting. You've I just put some... that I just put that together. Just huh. now. You've yeah. just made this connection that's probably like one of the big keys to your life. Probably. <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. Um that's pretty it's cool. It's a thing. I don't know. So that's kind of what I liked. And then middle school happens to what? <laughs> I just think you about Boy George and all that stuff. I love Boy George. Oh, he man. has a fantastic voice. My father. My father did not listen to music. He would have been one of those guys that was like, there's two kinds of music, country and Western. You know? <laughs> had huge battles with my brother over rock music and stuff. So I hid most of my music from my parents. Yeah. Because I didn't want to repeat the battles that they had had and but i would watch music videos but that was pop music so so uh i remember when karma chameleon was out Mm -hmm. and i'm watching the videos and my dad walks in the room well karma chameleon video is coming on and i kind of embraced for what is he gonna say about this freak and he sat there and he watched and at the end of it he says i don't know what's wrong with that guy but he sure can sing and he walked out of the room and it was i was like (gasps) Wow. That's, I've never heard him say anything like that before. I'm speechless. That's really interesting. I was completely like, like I, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't hoping for my father's approval of the music that I was listening to on these music videos or, or being, being in a twisted sister or something, you know? And I didn't really like Culture Club, but I just found it so interesting that there were these levels of assessment on this stuff that he had that I didn't know about. And it's like, oh, okay. But then for the rest of my life, I would always be like, well, you know, Boy George got a really good voice because I'm still like a junior high kid. And I heard my right. dad say he was good, you know, say he was good. He's so He's got a fantastic voice. Yeah. So it's just a weird thing. It doesn't have anything to do with any of this. I Sorry. like that. <laughs> so unlike previous guests and future guests, um, I know for a fact that metal had absolutely no influence on me. Okay, we're doing a knuckle punch okay, here. We, yeah, Metal a, had a, a little bit of influence on, on me, me, but it's not the way it is for a lot of the people. No. I came in I had through a new wave shit. Yeah, no metal, but because I know that I didn't like metal because I had a neighbor who had all the Iron Maiden posters, and I was just like, no, Mm-mm, that's scary. I don't like the way it sounds. Wait a minute, no. Just hold on. You wanted a Twisted Sister record. No, I just wanted the part at the beginning that says, like, I want to rock. Okay, but just just so you understand, you, you this is a contradiction you're talking about. I think so. Maybe being denied. Here's the thing. I wanted if to you, rock. I think that's If you that's weren't the thing. denied the Twisted Sister record and you didn't have to get men at work, you might have gone the metal gone route with metal. everyone else. I might have. I might so, have, but I but I didn't identify with it. It didn't resonate with me. Wanting to rock resonated with okay, me. Okay, but but if you're that age and you spend the hours with Twisted Sister Stay Hungry Maybe. that you would have spent with it instead of with Land Down Under and <laughs> and and listen, yeah. other really good songs on that record, right? But they're not going to lead you. They're going to lead you towards New Wave and yeah. stuff. They're not yeah. going to lead you towards metal. You're right. So that was, so yeah, your mom was the little fork in the road, the little twig that turned the, the raging river to, yeah. to the melodic, you know, to the synth music or whatever yeah. and away from metal. So I get into middle school and then... There are people in my middle school who I didn't go to elementary school with. And all of a sudden, there is Depeche Mode and The Cure. Mm-hmm. And there's Violent Femmes. But there's also The Cramps. By the way, you just said Violent Femmes. I did. It's Violent Femmes. Well, then, so let's it not, is. Let's not fixate on this. <laughs> but I love stuff like that. I love when people have like a, a lilt like pronunciation of something that's different than the way I've said it my whole okay. life. I'm like, oh, 
Okay. Well. <laughs> Violent friends. <laughs> <laughs> it might have just been because of its placement in the sentence. Well, then why don't we do this? Um, since you just brought up Violent Femmes mm-hmm. and you're basically, you've got a shaved head and you're a punk rocker mm-hmm. and you're in junior high, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm shocked. I heard something oh. about you last night. Oh, goodness. Okay. I'm ready. Last night, April Votolato was over here. Mm-hmm. That's who, Rocky Votolato's wife. Who was April Gilbert at the time. Who was April Gilbert, Gilbert at the time. Yes. Yep. And we went. No, I don't say that. I'm going to tell the story before we you nowhere. tell anything. Okay. <laughs> Out with it, Larson. April told me, when I told her that you were coming over today, Mm -hmm. she told me the story that I'd never heard before. Okay. She said that the first time she saw you, Mm -hmm. she walked outside of her school and she was, I believe she's two years younger than you. Does that sound right? Yes. And she thought she was in the seventh grade when this happened. Okay. She walked out of her school Mm -hmm. and she saw you walking down the street with some guy with a leather jacket. Oh, hell yes. You know the story, right? No, I know the guy. It was her first time her eyes had seen you like this was her she she remembers you from her first time looking at you mm-hmm. she said when she saw you two walking mm-hmm. her brain said this is real this is the <laughs> world that you want and it's real because there they are i want to hug her so hard right now she told me that last night about you that is incredibly touching and so she had seen movies or she had seen, she had an idea, but it was like that was a fantasy thing that didn't exist in the real world. And then, boom, Lex, you brought it into being for her. So that would have put me in ninth grade. That's I think that's what she said. So it's a little bit past what we're talking no, about. No, it's but... not that far because in ninth grade, I was taking um, I was taking French classes up at the high school and my French class went to France for spring break. Um, France and England, which was a pretty big deal. And it was the situation where my mom said, you can get braces or you can go on this trip. (laughs) Okay, that's not a big deal to you, Dave, because you've seen me since my teeth have grown back naturally. But I used to have a part between my front teeth that was big enough for me to put my pinky finger in. Okay. I don't know why my teeth decided to grow straight after that, but I consider it a small miracle. I didn't need braces. Um, so I went to France, um, which was very awesome because that started my love of international travel. But it also allowed me to go to England. And you know what they have in England? Shelley's of London, which is where you can get Doc Martin combat boots, which you cannot get in the United States. Okay. You can mail order them in the United States in 1989. Right. But unless you live in New York or L.A., you cannot purchase Doc Martens. <laughs> I purchased Doc Martens. <laughs> I went to England and purchased Dr. Martens combat boots. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and um, years later, when there was a store here in Seattle. I'm not sure if it still exists. but um, The Doc Martens store? Yeah, it's called like Experience. Oh, I don't know. Or something. There was a Doc Martin store downtown, but it's no longer there. Sure, but before that, there was Soda like and this I talked about it on the last episode. Place called Experience, and like you could get vinyl pants there. And oh like yeah, okay. That kind of stuff. Um, I was just like, whatever, jerks. It's so easy for you to get Dr. Martin's. I had to go to England. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, where's your dedication? I flew across the ocean. <laughs> You know, but yes, at, at that point, I fully I got my leather jacket in seventh grade. I wore it faithfully through high school. OK, 
So you were you were on this path from from Cindy Lauper forward, mm-hmm. and did you would just keep discovering music? Where were you getting music? Okay, so where they, were you getting music that wasn't on the radio? From my classmates. Again, small school, mm-hmm. small school. Um, it's very interesting because the other night I was um, I was hanging out with Kate Becker and Michael Compton's daughter, right? And um, I'm not sure if she's in sixth grade or seventh grade right now, but she was like, "When did you have your first boyfriend?" And I said, <laughs> I said, ninth grade. And she's like, how did he get to be your boyfriend? And I said, okay, this is how it happened. I said, I like your mohawk. And he said, I like your combat boots. I said, what bands do you like? And he said, ABC. Not, no, 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 not like the, no, no, I, like X, Y, like, like one, two, three. And, and I, and he said, what kind of um, bands do you like? And I was like, three, four, five. And they were the same they were in the same family of bands and then he was like do you want to be my girlfriend wait that's how he said it yeah pretty much are you going to name this person no okay no but this was the person that april saw you with yes okay yes because he came to school with me one day and he had a foot high mohawk <laughs> i have pictures of us we later went to school dances together he lived in linwood i lived in kirkland it was very hard i don't know how our parents abided this but like you <laughs> but like you and bill baker you know, when you need to find other punks, you will go to any lengths necessary. Yeah. That's probably, yeah, that's probably true. He made a mixtape for me in the best tradition ever, of not just like punk to punk transmission of what you need, but also like romantic punk to punk. <laughs> so he made a romantic punk mixtape? Yes. What songs were on it? Um. Okay. I was hoping to be able to, it's in my storage unit. Um, I still have it. It was so important to me. It was Minor Threat. It was Subhumans. It was Misfits. It was Dead Kennedys. It was... But, oh, but all the love song tracks from these bands. No! What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it's the slow jams. Okay. No. Um, oh, uh, it was so important to me. It was so important to me. Had my house been on fire, it that would have been the item. It would have been the photo albums, the cat, my mom, and that tape. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, so let me ask. So this is the guy that you're with mm-hmm. when April sees you, mm-hmm. but then April later becomes a friend of yours, and she said something about you played Violent Femmes for her for the first time. Oh man, that's great! And did you did you cut her hair? Yes, I did. Did you shave her head? I might have with a bic razor in my bathroom. Playing the Violent Femmes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's I mean that's huge. Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> and it was it was her and Megan. It sure was because they were cousins. No, no, Megan and Michael Ann are cousins. <gasps> oh, I knew someone was cousins. <laughs> I knew there was something about. So cousins. the funny thing about this story is it's it's so funny how this all connects because so Michael Ann, if you've all listened to my podcast, you've heard Michael Ann on the episode. In fact, she was in the entire Ram episode. She owns this house. She's my girlfriend of almost twenty years now. We've been together, and Megan is her cousin mm-hmm. and april is basically her oldest friend okay. so there's this whole connection with those three and then that connects to you so this is in junior high and what i really remember about this is that april and megan and i were in the bathroom at my house with the bic razor with the shaving cream which is like big fluffy whipped cream you know like crazy <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> against her head and I'm not sure which one of them says it but I think Megan says it 
this is a sentence that's always stuck with me, which was, my mom won't let me wear pantyhose because it's against our church. <laughs> it was one of those two, huh? It was one of those two. I honestly don't know which one it was at I don't the time. either. But like <laughs> just the idea, just the, the I, what, number one, what were we talking about pantyhose? Number two, what were we talking about churches? And number three, I love the time in your life where you're like, I can't do that because my mom says no. Yeah. <laughs> and it's right it's right before mom can't say no anymore and yet we're shaving april gilbert's head yes <laughs> this is so good oh my god this is so good and also by then like i first started dyeing my hair in seventh grade right so um by the time i was in ninth grade my hair was uh, that was when i was really going through an all blue hair all the time thing all blue all the time yeah there wasn't a lot of blue hair. Oh, back it was then. so hard. It was so hard. I had to find someone in Seattle who could do it for me. It was all about chemistry. I mean, literal chemistry, not about personalities meshing. Right. I mean, like I had to find someone who knew the chemistry of hair. And you did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you'd come in on the bus? Yeah. And get your hair did. Yeah. <laughs> Except it wasn't that. It was like I had a friend who knew a friend who knew a friend who had a car who could get this woman to come to my house because it was an all-day procedure. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. With foil and stuff? Oh, hell yeah. I've never seen a picture of you with blue hair. Oh, okay. I will show you pictures. Well, we, we should probably put one up on the page for this Oh, podcast. that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, any, oh. any of the stuff that you have... You know, any of the proof. Yeah. The uh, documentation that the, what you're saying here is true today. Yeah. So <laughs> so, <laughs> so then um, uh, we rock up and it's, uh, I know I said that just for you. You've been saying it. Okay. 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 <laughs> it's there good. Go. No, I love it. So we rock up and it's 1990. And then 1990 is amazingly important because that is the year that I'm 15 going into 16. And that's also when I'm moving over to high school. So this is the year I'm going out with that guy. Um, and that's the year that I am really getting into Fugazi. Um, Fugazi plays in Lake City at that show. Yep. I couldn't make it to that show. Oh. This is one of the big regrets of my life. And you know why I couldn't go? Because my mom said I couldn't go. <sighs> Because that's how old you are. <laughs> it was a good show. I know. I know. I've heard. <laughs> Michael Ann was there. <sighs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, Someone recently sent me the video clips for the entire show, and they're on this computer right here. Oh. So when we get done recording, you can see it. Oh, that's cruel. <laughs> that's cruel. <laughs> Is it cruel? Thanks a lot, jerk. No, I don't want to see that. That hurts. Oh, really? I would have thought that No, I, I do want to see it. I do want to see. I was, I'm not trying to hurt you. Okay. Alex. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, that might also be the year that um, that really fantastic Danzig album came out. First one? Yeah. It was a little earlier. Was 80, it? 80, 80, I because I think that's when I saw Danzig at the Moore Theater. Right. The first time he came through and played as Danzig, yes. it was with Mud Honey at the Underground in the U District. And that was a couple years earlier. I okay. Think. I, I wasn't there. But I saw Guar and Danzig together at the Moore Theater. 
Wow, Guar, Guar, and so you could go to that show. Yeah, but Fugazi, well, no. Hold on, <laughs> hold on a minute. You can go to Danzig and Guar. Mm-hmm. How many months apart were they? Oh goodness, I don't have my show list. That's fine, but you can't go to Fugazi. So it was just these were just arbitrary decisions of like, oh, I, I'm still in control. What parent knows what these things are? Like, how would a parent know? You've got a 15 year old daughter, like. <laughs> Okay, and at the same time, I'm going to the Nirvana show at the International Motorsports Garage, you know, and, like, that was a pretty fundamental show in the history of Northwest music. Um, That was, I believe that's the first time they ever played Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, wow. Outside of their practice space. (laughs) Um, And that was with Mudhoney. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I was going to all kinds of shows, but it could have been just like, no, I'm tired. I don't want to drive you to that show and drive you back. You're right. It could be any, all yeah. kinds of other reasons. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So then it was high school. And, and then you're in regular high school. Regular so now high school. You come into a whole different group of kids. A different group of kids that all have weird clicks and there's jocks. And there's probably, at that time, it's the 90s. So Lollapalooza is a thing and people know about Lollapalooza is a thing. They know about Jane's addiction. Yeah. They know about. I went to that. Yeah. So, so you're not a total outcast freak but you had to have been kind of a freak there were like 20 of us but the interesting thing yeah in my school there were like 20 of us um and it was just great because there was a diversity there because then there was goth kids and then there were punk kids and then they were like trying to figure it out kids like jeremy enoch who was a skinhead at the time and he made this great flyer about sharps skinheads against racial prejudice and it was awesome. And <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and then we also have Dan and Andrea because they come in from a different middle school. OK, so you can't just say Dan and Andrea without explaining it a little bit. So they, they, they went to school with you at the same time. Yeah. From we were, a different middle school. Yeah. So you're talking about Dan Gallucci and Andrea Zolo. Uh-huh. OK. And so then we all just kind of want to be in bands. And then um, the first band that I was in was a band called Born Naked. And that was <laughs> I forgot me and Carrie Brownstein and a friend of ours named Rachel Reeves and another friend named Natalie, whose last name I can't remember. Hold on. Let's step back for a minute. Okay. You would have been called Born Naked with who? Carrie Brownstein. Is that someone people know? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are, are, are you laughing? No, of course. I think she's like really famous now. <laughs> This is Carrie from Portlandia and Sleater Kitty. Uh-huh. So your first band it was with her, Born Naked. Yeah. I had never knew this, Lex. Okay. I probably would have said that at the beginning of the podcast when I was talking about- Oh, that's funny. But I don't know. I mean, I knew you from Ricky Tiki Tabby and oh, from the old firehouse. And Jana McGinnis was also in that band. <clears throat> I see him. I don't know that name. Yeah. No, no, you wouldn't. We were all, we were just kids. We're oh, people. I thought you were. I thought you were saying like, oh, and, and on top of that, this person. And who, on top of that, Jana McGinnis- was in that band. I, she's a great person somewhere out in the world. Probably something amazing. I really wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so that's okay. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you did Born Naked. Mm-hmm. Um, all girl band. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. What year? Ninety one. Oh no, no. Born Naked was like 92? 91, 92? Yeah. We were really keen to get on K Records. Is there a demo? Is there a recording? Oh yeah. Is it out there? If I look on YouTube right now, no, I... no, 
No. So you're saying there is one, though. When I say there's a demo, I mean there's a tape in my storage unit. That I'll be getting my hands on. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, you and I have talked about going to that storage unit and going through your stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a treasure trove. It's it's pretty cool. It's, I can't wait. This is going to happen I can't soon. wait to get in there, yeah. <laughs> okay. So right now, the world has not experienced Born Naked. But it could, like, find its way onto YouTube or something. It sure could. It sure could. We were all just trying to learn how to make sounds with instruments. And um, it was very Ramones-based. I would say that our biggest influences were the Ramones, Danzig, and Fugazi. (laughs) You've hid this from me. All we used to do is practice and drive around in circles in neighborhoods listening to this music on car stereos. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Okay. So how did you go from that, which is, uh, yeah. Okay. So I've learned something today. Mm-hmm. How did you go from that to Ricky Tiki Tabby? I was at a show at the party hall. The party hall keeps yes. coming up on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Great place. Which show? I don't recall. Okay. And you don't know? remember any band that played it? No. Other than the fact that all of my friends were there. Okay, so let's just say mm-hmm. it was uh, Reason for Hate. Yes. And who would have been playing with Reason for Hate? I don't have my list. <laughs> okay. You're killing me. All right, so it was certainly Reason for Hate. Okay, okay. I might have also gotten scabies at that show. <gasps> oh, well, people got scabies at the party <laughs> hall. What, so you so you leaned against the mattresses. I did. Oh, Lex, you never, they don't lean against, you don't lean against the mattresses know, at the party hall. I know, I know, and I wasn't sexually active, and I was just like, how in the hell could this have happened? And I was like, oh, it's the party hall. Well, see, I heard about the girl who got scabies from the mattresses, so yeah. I guess I had heard, heard about you there a couple, now maybe, a year or so before. Maybe, because there were mattresses, and there were also rolls of carpet that were stored up against this wall. And yeah. they were in kind of like a pyramid shape, and... If you couldn't see the band, because if but you were just, standing, you could sit on them. People kind of need to understand. The party hall was a, a storage sort unit. of a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like a space that had a couple of pool tables in it. Yeah. And then oh. it was all, it was also just a place where someone was clearly just throwing old crap and shoving it against the back walls. And but we there couldn't was leaving touch enough the pool tables. No, they were covered, but yeah. people stood on them. But you shouldn't have. You should yeah, have stood on the bales of carpet. And the mattresses and gotten scabies with me, <laughs> clearly. So, yes, I am a victim of that. Um, I know who else played that party hall show. Who else played that party hall positive show? Positive Greed. Positive Greed. Yes. Yes. I'll bet you it was Positive Greed, Reason for Hate. Yes. I wasn't there, but okay. I, I I know that I there- it, I bet it, it was. It just seems like that would have been a, a, the right kind of combination of bands. And mm-hmm. then probably some other band that didn't fit, but was just coming through town. Right. Okay, so you're at that show. Yes. I know what it happened? wasn't the judge show. I know it wasn't the show with the guns. Um, the show with the guns, when you say that, you mean- Born Against, Rorschach, and Downcast. Yes. All right. Which and it, Judge didn't play. Judge didn't make it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that show with Downcast. You haven't crossed paths with us yet. No, I haven't. Because I'm coming down from, for yep. shows. Ron's doing stuff. Undertow guys are going to. Face First is playing there. 1007 is happening. But this is when I'm really starting to learn about Hardcore Straight Edge, which is about to really change my life. At this time, I really would like to be straight edge i think um, because it seems like the most awesome thing going but i am still too busy drinking okay 
When did you start drinking? When I was 13. When you were 13. What was the first time you drank and how did you set that up? Oh, at a wedding? Okay. Like with adults? Yeah. And then I stole the beers and went in the bushes and drank them. You drink in the bushes, you cry in the bushes. Uh, that's how I live. When was the first? <laughs> when was the first time that you went out with other kids and drank? Oh, probably at lunch break at middle school. Wait, until so you came back to school, school drunk? field trip? Yes. You drank at school. I did. And other kids that you were with drank at school. Yeah, I got expelled. Um. <laughs> you got, okay, <laughs> let's talk about that. You got expelled. Uh huh. Uh, for drinking. Yeah. On school field trips. So whenever you uh, school field trip, that's where I drink. Yes. And <laughs> it's logic. Where did you get alcohol? Where are all your friends going to be at once? At school. Who do you want to drink with? Your friends. This is, I don't know that this is how other people approached it. It's true. How'd you get the alcohol? I have no idea. You don't remember? No. You just remember that you had beer? No, it was probably... <laughs> Well, maybe beer. Um, I seem to recall that alcohol came in fancy bottles. When you say fancy bottles, do you mean like those little like like figurines where you just unscrew the head? Maybe. <laughs> so like your grandfather's old like cowboy yes. liquor bottles? Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. Like when you're growing up in the 1980s and you are subjected to countless media images of the only way to have a really good time with all of your friends is with alcohol. There's no other way. Like, it's marketing, and it worked. It worked for you. It worked for me. <laughs> so, because of that, by the time you're getting near the end of high school and you're going out to these punk shows and stuff, you're thinking, this straight thing looks pretty good. I'm thinking, drinking is lame. Who was the first straight person that you knew? Oh, Rob Boer. That's a good answer. Thanks. I did my best. <laughs> Rob Boer hasn't come up on this show yet. Okay. Although Rob Boer appears in some of the pictures in the backgrounds of the, the pictures that I've put up on the blog pages. Rob Boer, I went to elementary school and middle school with. That makes some sense. Yes. Rob Boer was great. Rob Boer later sang for Christopher Robin, who yes, became a band called uh, Function of Hornets. Excellent. And he wrote a bunch of cool stuff. And I saw him, the last time I saw Rob Boer was at the Undertow pre-show reunion at the Che Cafe in California. Fantastic. He's a great dude. Okay. He was the first straight edge person you knew. Yes. Okay. But then also Natalie, who I was talking about previously, who was in Born Naked, she... I could be wrong on this, but I do believe that she was dating Lenny from Galleon's Lap. And she was a very, very fundamental friend in my life. And I cannot believe that I have forgotten her last name. Oh. But she died last year. Oh. Yep. Um, of cancer. Oh, and she has a son and a husband who are British and they are living in the UK now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Natalie was really instrumental in kind of poking me towards hardcore. Uh, the, the dogs are, are running, <laughs> are chasing each other upside, up and down. We have a little dog friend over for our dog today, and apparently they're chasing each other up and down in the hall outside, and I can't really do anything about that. So 
Sorry that it distracted you. Go yeah, on. No, it's okay. So between Rob Boer, who was a f- lifetime friend, and Natalie, who was a very important friend in high school, um, we were trying to get out to the party hall as frequently as possible. So um, I can't recall if Lenny had this tattoo on his arm or if Natalie had this tattoo on, on her arm, but it was like a, like a, oh, it was a tattoo and it was so cool. But what, what was, it was a straight edge tattoo? No, it was just a tattoo. <laughs> oh, the fact that, so was this the first person that you knew that had a tattoo? Yes. Oh. Okay. Yes. Yes, it was. And that was very exciting. And Lenny had dreadlocks and that was also very exciting. Lenny's dreadlocks were exciting. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. If you've ever seen a picture of Galleon's lap, if you've ever listened to Galleon's lap and you're aware of who Lenny is, um, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. Galleon's lap was one of the four records that I kept from my record collection. For good reason. Yes. Should be one of the most sought after records out there. It is in my heart. In my heart too. I, I own a couple copies because sometimes I'll see it priced at for a normal price in a record right. store and I'll just be like, what the hell? That's silly. Why isn't this on the wall? <sighs> yeah, so that that was a thing. And then I was at a party hall show once and a guy came up to me and he said, do you want to be in a band? And I said, yes. And he said, I think you would be a good singer for our band because you have purple hair. And I <laughs> said, Okay. Um, I think that I was thinking at the time, thank you for acknowledging my inherent worth. Now that you've seen me as a human being, I think I can pursue this career of singing for you. (laughs) Because previous to that, I hadn't really been. Okay, yes, I'd been in the band. I've been in Born Naked. um, And like for one day, I was in Thief Steal Me a Peach. Um, <laughs> we never did anything, but it was like it was just a th- you were just said that you were in the band. Yes, for one day. So you were in Thief Steal Me a Peach, for which one... becomes Sunny Day Real Estate. <laughs> it was one day. It was like, do you want to be in the band? Yes. And what were you gonna do? Sing? Sing? Yeah. Okay. And then it was like with Jeremy or just I think with. Okay. Yeah. And then it was like no, and I was like okay, uh-huh. you know, like. <laughs> You know, but you know how it is in high school. It's like, you want to be in my band? Yeah. Okay, well, we we just broke up. Yeah. You know? No, so that's fine. Yeah. I've been in bands that never existed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you go and you start doing this band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was already a band. It was already a band that I'd been seeing at the party hall. Oh, who sang for them then? I can't remember his name. Okay. Yeah. Um, but obviously I was highly qualified to sing in a band, um, due exclusively to the fact that I had purple hair. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so that's what I started to do. Yeah. And you had a decent voice. Thank you. The record sounds good. I have no idea. So you say. Uh, no, it's true. Um, in the same way that it's difficult to hear your own recorded voice, um, or it's hard to hear yourself play like on your own seven inch or like me in my teaching practicum, I had to watch videos of myself teaching and you just want to curl up inside yourself and die. Okay. (laughs) You know, like that's really. Right. Yeah. Okay. How long did you do Ricky Tiki Tabby? Maybe for a year and a half. And then it ended right about the time the firehouse was starting up? Mm-mm. No, because we were playing at the firehouse. The thing is... Oh, so when I met you, you were still in the band. It I wasn't... believe so. Okay. 
when I met you, this is starting to make this make more sense. When I met you, you were in the band. Mm-hmm. When we became friends, you had just gotten out of the band. Maybe. Because so- I remember you saying when early on that there were a couple of songs that you had recorded that weren't released mm-hmm. and that you were bummed because you thought they were their best songs. Mm-hmm. And we were, that was a conversation we had when we were friends and it was after the band. Yeah. So Dan Gallucci was our bass player. Okay. And I was really done being in this band because I realized I didn't have anything to say. I really just wanted to sing and sing loud and make a lot of loud sounds. Mm-hmm. And all the bands that I was listening to and getting into were political and awesome. And I was just like, meh. I had nothing to say. I was really, really about exploring and not being able to make any decisive statements. And um, I was getting kind of bummed out on the band and they were getting bummed out on me. And it was like, what happened first? Did I decide to not do it or they did? Or did they decide to not have me do it? Um, okay. So it's like when you go into quit and they tell you you're fired. Yeah. Oh, that was so it. <laughs> that was so it. It was like, I'm breaking up with you. No, I'm breaking up with you. Um, that was exactly it. So it's really the first person who says it wins. Yes. Yes. And they won. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they won. Um, but it's funny because when we went to have the talk, mm-hmm. I was going to tell them. And then they were going to tell me, but they just brought it up first. Um, and so then Andrea Zolo became the singer. Was Dan Gallucci in the band at the time when that happened? Yeah. Well, that starts a long uh-huh. tradition of Andrea and, and Dan, Dan collaborating on things and, and that whole group of people. are amazing. Great people. Great people. Lo- love them. They're awesome. Work together amazingly. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I so you love well, both of them. Well, thank so you. Much. I guess thank you for being that fertilizer, Lex. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome, life. <laughs> yeah, I'll just do that with, uh, I'll just be in a band with uh, Carrie Brownstein, and then I'll just be in a band with uh, Jeremy Enoch, and then I'll just be in a band with Dan and Andrea, and oh, there we go. Funny. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. All right. So then you decide to be straight edge. Yeah, I do. Wait, now, is is that the right time frame? Did you mm-hmm. decide to be straight edge in Ricky Tiki Tavi or was it yes. after? Yes, because when I was in Ricky Tiki Tavi, I was... Hold on, they kicked you out for going edge. That's right. Good, okay. Just so we know where they stand. <laughs> no, I was not Xing up. I was drawing stars on my hands. And they were like, "That that is a lot like Xing up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, this is awesome. So they what did is, What's better than high school? Seriously? They, this oh, is like yeah. so vitally important. It's at oh the time I god. bet I bet people lost sleep over this, got really upset, probably punched walls. Like, I, I don't know what boys do, but I didn't punch any walls, but I was pretty upset. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Cutting. <laughs> Okay. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I only really know the boy perspective. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's messed up. <laughs> this conversation is so good. Okay. All right. Oh man. So yeah, you, you were... weren't straight edge. Wait, wait, wait. What? what? <laughs> okay. Hold on. I'm just... <sighs> All right. I'm gaining composure. I'm fanning myself. You're just going to lose it again? I know. Okay. I know. Yeah, so I don't know the boy's perspective, 
But for me, I, what am I even talking about, boys? <laughs> Listen. Can we edit all that no, out? No, we're not editing a word of this out. This it, is my favorite part. Okay. okay. What, I'm, what I want to know, this is what I'm trying to get to. You were not straight edge when Ricky Tiki Tavi started. Correct. And you were straight edge when they kicked you out. And you were drawing stars on your hand to I try wasn't to straight get edge. away. Dave Larson, you have to know that you have to go to shows consistently for a year before you can X up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you know a rule I don't know? Yes. <laughs> Tell me it. Where'd you hear it? I lived it. Wait, you established the rule. No, I just lived it. You can't. Just go to shows and X up. That's not how it works. There's a day when you say I'm straight edge and that day is the day you claim edge. Yeah. Okay. Do you know that day? No. Okay. But that you remember that there was one or is that not how it was for you? That's not how it was for me. Okay. Because I don't remember the first time I X'd up. Okay. No. But you um, remember the first time you start up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> yep, only because there's pictures of it. Some kind of, well, it's not, it's star-fisted snitch. Perhaps. <laughs> okay. So. You don't know Starbilly star Sneetches? So she every once in a while, Lex does this motion, like something I said just went right over the top of her head, and I, I've taken a picture of it, so I'll put that up on the blog so you can see her doing the that one over my head motion. Yeah. But uh, Starbilly Sneech is like a Dr. Seuss thing. There are Sneeches that have stars on their bellies, and they're like better than the ones that don't. Mm-mm. I think he was, I think Dr. Seuss was trying to teach straight edgers a lesson. <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't remember Xing up, but I remember the first time. Okay, so this is really interesting. I must have seen, I'm assuming that I saw Undertow at the party hall because I do remember that another time that I saw Undertow, it was at the old firehouse. And I remember I was standing in the hallway and in the other room where the bands were playing, I remember hearing days slip through my hands yeah and from I, my hands right? no days days don't slip through my hands they slip from my, from my hands. hands okay like sand through an hourglass it, it's only been 20 years it's okay i'm gonna say that you might not have heard maybe it wasn't that you might not have heard that song at the party hall no but i remember but i think i heard the song at the firehouse and it wasn't my first or second or even third time i'd seen them mm-hmm. because i was jokingly singing along to one of my friends all right quick note we had to take a break right now essentially because people were showing up here at the house and we had to go talk to them so we're going to come back into the conversation but it is more than an hour after when we took that break um so we're not going to hit it just right we're going to try to get back where we were but um i just want to give you a warning if it's a little disjointed that's why i believe we were talking about lex listening to Undertow, and first beginning to recognize the song Stalemate. Does that sound right, Lex? That sounds about right. All right, let's go. Tell me about it. Um, I thought it was really funny, and then I thought it was fucking awesome. It went from funny to awesome. Yes. What made you think it was funny in the first place? The Baldwins. You may know them from previous episodes. Adam Baldwin was a very good friend of mine. We went to high school together, and he had written a song maybe with Dan Gallucci I'm not sure um but it was a fake hardcore song that 
<laughs> it was a fake hardcore song that they used to run around singing. Um, and it kind of went like, you hurt my feelings, 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 feelings. When you killed that cow, 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 cow. <laughs> and it was like, I pledge allegiance to the blah, blah, blah. And there is no God. And they just <laughs> made this fake hardcore song and they'd sing it. And like, it sounds great. It was. <laughs> It was, it was, and um, so much so that I'm remembering it now. It like it's still in my head, and so when I heard "Stalemate," when I heard that song, I was like, "Oh, that's just like the cow song." Oh, so when you heard, when you recognized <laughs> Undertow, you actually first thought they were basically doing a real version of a joke song you already knew. Kind of. I mean, I was just like, is that really how simple hardcore is? That's like, give me a freaking break. Like, are all the songs like that? I mean, so much so that, like, Adam could make this fake song that sounds so much like this other song. And then I was like, wait a minute. I like that. I I, that song is one of the great songs of really, our lives. It really is. It really is. Like, you know, I don't know. It's like teasing someone for something and then like winding up liking the thing i mean that actually is what it is <laughs> that's exactly that that's kind of a theme that's come up on this before yes yeah that's... you've bullied them because you want to be their friend yes <laughs> yes i can't remember making fun of them to other people but like i always you know thought it was kind of funny so all of this the... was so somewhere in here you went straight edge you went from stars to x's though mm -hmm. you said you believed that it had to be you had to go to shows for a year well just in general like you have to <laughs> that's so funny yes i was under the direct impression that you had to be doing things in the scene and around the scene and generally making yourself known as a member of this community before you could claim edge. Okay. And I think that was because you'd want people to take you seriously. Yeah. Now, when did you first tell someone that you were straight edge or put an X on your hand? Don't remember. You don't remember, but don't you remember. were just, you were in there. It was 93. It was 1993. Yeah. Now, Somewhere along this, along the way here, you became friends with Ron and I. Yes. You you showed up on our radar yes. and you impressed Ron. And I have no idea how. <laughs> he You talked about a pyramid. Oh, the pyramid. The pyramid came after we'd been talking for a I mean, after we'd been friends for a while, the pyramid came up. A little while. Yeah. Now, it seems like a lot of time went by in very short. When we look back on it, uh, 94 is a vast amount of time. Like that whole year is insane. So yeah, we might've been friends for three months before you came up with it. And you might think that's an eternity, but it pretty much happened the same day that we met each other. <laughs> <laughs> it, if you look back on our lives, it's like right at a tiny little sliver of the timeline. Yeah. So what we've kind of tried to talk about this pyramid thing a little bit. Do you remember? Can you explain it? I remember the moment it crystallized in my mind and I remember exactly where i was in your house when Wait, i drew it you, out you came up with this idea at my house no oh, okay no the first i remember when at it crystallized apartment. yeah yeah um it crystallized in my mind and um then i went over to your house and i drew out the schematic of it right but i think you did it for ron i did so did we did he have it right it was all the it was all the people that okay. go to the shows on the bottom they were the they were the base of the pyramid they are the base of the pyramid they right. still are Yes. Okay. So okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. This is not what it was. This is not past tense. This is what it is. This is present tense. 
Go. Okay. So <laughs> you've got a pyramid, right? And um, it's divided into four categories. And the largest category at the bottom are the kids. And we're just going to call them the kids. Yeah. And these are all of the people who walk in the door. These are all of the people with any affiliation with hardcore. The next level up are the doers. <laughs> the doers. <laughs> this is this is getting a little Iron Randian. <laughs> okay, so these are the doers. These are people who do. Could we things. also call the base level the moochers? No. Okay, go on. We cannot. <laughs> well, no. they're well, they're takers, right? They're taking the work of the doers. No. Okay. Thanks, Dave. But no. I'm just seeing if there are any holes in your pyramid. I'll see how libertarian it there is, is. There are no holes in this pyramid. This thing okay. is watertight. All right. Okay. So the next step up are doers. And these are people who flyer. They make flyers. They make zines. They are doing things. They're getting people in contact with other people. They are tabling. They are making shirts. And then... The next step up on the pyramid are bands. Okay. There are fewer people in bands than there are people who are making shirts and zines and flyers and the like. Okay. Okay. Um, and then on the highest part of the pyramid, you have the venues and the labels. Right. Right. So when you've got a venue, you've got the primary person like the director or manager of that venue that's one person yeah when you have a label that's usually one person got it so in this pyramid it's not in terms of who is important or who does what it's about the number of people from the base of kids up to doers up to bands up to labels and venues and the best thing about this is that the labels and venues are also kids. And <laughs> well, each it, one of those things is one of built those of the other. It just builds on each other. And no, without one part, the other part of the pyramid collapses. Like Jenga. Like Jenga. <laughs> like Jenga, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this just really crystallized in my mind um, because I've always been very interested in the sociology of hardcore. And how it works um, and how we are able to come together and make what we do and create the community we do um, and have it be cohesive and tangible and just kind of how it works. I would have loved to go into sociology and really study the sociology of hardcore, but I know that the only jobs in the field of sociology are in academia, and that's not what I want to do. I mean, right. so sociology, awesome field, but <sighs> what can you do with it other than be smart? Right. Can't make any money. I apologize to all professional sociologists. Well, if they're professional sociologists, they're making money. Oh, I apologize to all people who tried to be professional sociologists. <laughs> And I wish you luck. Don't give up the dream. <laughs> so, okay. So we're past where we met now. Yeah. We're in that area that summer 94 was a big influential time. We talked about that a lot. There's a lot of stuff that happened. Undertow really rises. I don't Apple think comes out. that um, influential time. I, I don't think that's a strong enough statement. Okay. I think it was more than an influential time. What do you think it was? I think it was a revolutionary time. 
Nice. See, it's hard to state the importance of what was happening in Northwest Hardcore and in Seattle in 
Okay. What I know is that a lot it's, of people. It's all a continuous thing for me. Yeah. Like, so I don't always understand, you know, I've ne- and I've never been able to get my head around it. I heard some people talking last night about something wave ska or something. And oh. I remember thinking, I don't even want to try to figure out what time frame they're talking about. Cause I yeah. just don't know. Yeah. And I don't really want to. Yeah. Like, I came in with a big group of people. That's what I know. Sure. And I thought slash think that straight edge was just astonishing. It was part of the social revolution that I wanted to be a part of. And that's how I saw it. So it was a lot of shows and a lot of hanging out and a lot of burritos. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of burritos. It was a lot of burritos. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And it felt like for some reason a lot of Thai food too. I, maybe it was. I, I, I that was a little pricier. Well, than the burritos. thing about Thai food is that you can't carry it in your backpack so well. That you're right. It's a little problematic. Yeah. So I was going to. I was taking some classes at Seattle Central Community College. I was working at the PCC in Kirkland. I was working at the old firehouse in Redmond, and. I was doing Muay Thai at a kickboxing gym. And that was all I did was <laughs> school, shows, kickboxing, hanging out, bagging groceries, and a little bit of sleep. That's seriously. Well, you did zines. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did zines. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what, I mean, that seemed to me like your main gig for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You did what? Starlog? I did Starlog. What's Starlog? Oh, goodness. Now, this is interesting, Dave, because I have not thought about this in years. Really? Yeah, really. Um, I did a zine called Starlog. I don't really know what it's about (laughs) (laughs) other than what I did was I wrote down everything I did each day and every show I went to and I admitted the names and I made it a zine. Right. So it was like a diary. Yeah. Well, what was the dream one then? Oh, uh, that was also a Starlog. That was Starlog. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was a Starlog dream log. Starlog dream log. Yeah. Okay. So some things were real. Some things were dreams. Yeah. There was one that was just dreams. And so um, I'm a pretty prolific dreamer. And I dream more vividly than my, wake- my waking life. And... Um, and so, like, being part of the hardcore scene and then also having, like, this super vivid dreaming life, I thought, oh, man, like, here's this zine that I'm doing about, like, what I'm doing in the day. And then, like, here's this <laughs> zine I'm doing about what I do when my eyes close at night. And it's all the same people. And we're all doing the same thing. <laughs> right? And, you know, it's so fun, like, when you see your friends and hang out. But then, like... It's also fun when you see your friends and hang out and ride on elephants, <laughs> and, you know. And your friends have no idea they're doing this, right? You okay. know, and uh, yeah, it, it oh, it made me supremely happy. The dream log always was so much better than the star log. I don't really remember the star log, um, <laughs> but I remember the dream log, and um, yeah, it's funny. I just always, you know, like with the name star log, I picked star log because I thought it'd be like I love word jokes and I love the idea. Of a log made out of stars. like yeah, It could have been Sparlog. It could have been. It could have been. <laughs> guess, yeah. guess it's too late. <laughs> it's too late for that. I don't know. You could start one now. Yeah, I could. Um, so, yeah, I just loved, I loved writing about the things we were doing. 
Um, it was terribly fun. Yeah. So, well, let me ask you. Okay, so with Straight Edge, yeah, that was a big influence in your life. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it now? I feel very good about it. Thank you for asking. Are you Straight Edge? Yes. So you are not somebody who is going to say. And then when I got to this age, no. I said, "Eh, whatever." I'm going to start drinking. That was just a thing for when I was a kid. No. 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 You were li- you're a lifer. Yes. I appreciate that. Yes. I appreciate it um in other lifers as well. Yeah. Why? Why what? Why are you a lifer? Because I believe in social revolution. Cuz you believe in social revolution? Yes. And straight edge is social revolution. Yes it is. Okay, so this is something that I have thought about for a long time. Okay. I have to preface this. I mean, I have to qualify by saying I'm a really literal black and white thinker. Okay. Okay. So that's part of where this comes in, right? This idea that straight edge is a kind or or being straight edge or not drinking and doing drugs and not smoking is the kind of societal change that I want to be a part of. Right. But you're talking about straight edge as societal change, not personal change. Correct. So you believe in, well, I mean, I say, I'm not going to say it like, a, like I'm accusing you, but. Yes, you do. <laughs> you, well, I, well, I mean, this is for the conversation's okay. sake, okay. right? Okay. But like, like you believe that there's a, a possibility that through people like being the kind of person I've been and the kind of person you've been, that masses of people would want to take that on and become straight edge? No. So you're literally so this revolution is just for the the tiny little groups of people that get it and stick with it. Mm, not not especially. Um, it's more like be the change you want to see. Be the change you want to see. Yeah. But you wouldn't you wouldn't see. support the idea of a of a of a society where people had to be straight edge. No, I think everybody should have the ability to choose. But if I could choose what everyone else did. Whoa! Really? Yes. You would choose for everyone else to be straight edge. That's hard, isn't it? You, uh, you are an interesting man, Dave Larson, because you have a really good way of backing me into corners. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know that I'm not always as eloquent with my words as I as I would like to be. And I know that like sometimes when I'm in a conversation, I get all excited and then I'm recorded (laughs) for all time and I wind up saying something, you know, that's not exactly true. I'm just trying to keep it interesting. I know. And you're gosh, and you're good at that. Um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You really are. You always have been. You've got a talent for that. Um, So I think that... I don't think that there's much benefit in the world that's brought about by consuming alcohol. I don't think that there's much benefit in the world by consuming um, recreational drugs. And I don't believe that there's any benefit in the world that comes from smoking. Right. And I think there's a lot of benefit that comes from people striving to not do those things. And when I when I say benefit, I really mean... Like, um, you know, like in terms of body health, in terms of financial health, like um, the finances of my family will be better if I don't buy cigarettes. Hmm. Right. If I don't give my money to this company, this company will not expand. 
Right. Or they won't be able to expand the, the whatever nth amount that, nth amount that, 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 that I, my money was. Yeah. It's just, it's the same argument for if you're a vegetarian, you know that your money won't be going. You know, there's there's some portion less cow that gets slaughtered that year because that's the amount you would have consumed. And I'm still vegetarian for that reason. Yeah. Right. That's who I am. That's who I am. I, you know, I have a choice of where my energy goes and I have a choice of where my money goes. Right. There's not a lot of things you have control over in the world. Right. But where you spend your money and where you spend your time, you've got control over that. And um, yeah, so that's that's where I'm at with that. Okay. I still feel like that answer got a little, little, little politician-y. It did. It did. <laughs> but you know what? It did because um, because I get really flustered with my words. Uh, you're doing I, fine. <laughs> that's what you think. But inside my head, I'm saying, oh, shut up, Lex. Just stop digging yourself a grave. So, so, so look, is there any, I know you've got a list of, um, a list of notes here. Yeah. And I'm going to take you into the future where you disappeared and went away. Okay. So, um, what is on that list that we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to talk about? We haven't talked about the fact that all of my involvement with hardcore was pre-internet. Really? Mm-hmm. In the United States, yes. You're an entirely pre-internet hardcore person. Yes. I remember hearing vaguely something about a message board. Right. <sighs> but you weren't online. No. So it had started to exist, but you were not involved. No. Okay. There was also something with AOL. Yeah. I don't know what that was either. Yeah. It was, just, it, it, it was, was not something that it just, was the way, in the way you were doing anything. Yeah. It just seemed like a really awesome... Um, vehicle for people talking shit. Um. <laughs> Wait, you think that if this internet thing catches on, that people will use this internet and this way to leave messages in order to, to talk to each other in a way that they wouldn't do it face to face? I do. You might be onto something. That's science. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, in 1999, I left Seattle. In 19 when? 99? 1999? 1999. Okay. So we're off the list now. You're going to leave. Off of what list? The the list. No. The list of things. Oh, this it's... is on the list still. Well, okay. Let me see. <laughs> let me see. Um, I had collectible laminates. I got spit on in school. Um, <laughs> I... You were preparing questions. I was at the Baldwin's Wait, so you party. Got, you got... Wait a minute. Now, hold on. You, I'm not supposed to talk about that party anymore, apparently, because apparently we've talked way too much about Rocky's silver shirt. I visited Bill in his house in Portland. Bill B Baker. Bill Baker in yep. his house in Portland when he was doing Slow Side Down. Yep. Hey, no, hold on. I was at Botch's first show. Oh, that's good. Ver the very first show. One time, Yeah. One time there was a show at the Velvet Elvis and Drew Barrymore was there. That's true. Um, <laughs> that's a, I believe Jay Hawker <laughs> sold her a demo. Okay. Um Earth Crisis. What about Earth Crisis? I flew to New Jersey to see them. Oh, good for you. I got a Firestorm sweatshirt and a laminate. <laughs> and a laminate. Yeah. To go with your laminates. Yeah. Um, I got my leg tattoos um, on the State Route blood Bloodlet Tour up in Canada. Bonnie gave them to me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> Ron made me a mixtape that changed my life. Ron Gardapi yes. changed your life. Yes. Oh, we haven't heard much about oh. that on this podcast. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Second mixtape that changed my life. This one was just punk to punk. There was no romance involved. Okay. What was what was on this uh, mixtape? Oh, my God. And do you still have it in your storage space? Yes, I do. Okay. Dead guy, I believe, but I'm not sure. 
But what I really remember about what was on this mixtape was quicksand. Oh. Yeah, I really remember. All of this was done with a Walkman. I had a Walkman in my backpack and at least like four or five tapes every day. What do you mean? Oh, so you mean you listened to all the stuff on a Walkman? Yeah, Yeah. everything that had to do with hardcore for so long was on tapes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I had a record player, but it was a while until I really started buying records, Um, you know, because you you could either get records at a show or you could get them at Fallout. Um, And then once I started going to Seattle Central, I was able to get to Fallout every day. And um, then I was hanging out with you guys at your apartment and Ron made me this tape. And I am so sorry that I can't remember everything that was on there. But you remember it was really influential. It was amazingly influential. And I really remember that it had quicksand on it. There were like, there was one side and the last four songs were quicksand. And, oh man, it was so good. Hey, did I dream this or was I at a birthday party at your house with the Krishna Core Band 108? That is so funny. That's not on my list, but yes. How did that happen? I'm not entirely sure how that happened, but bands used to come and stay at my house. Um, I know that 108 was on tour Mm -hmm. and I was having a birthday. (laughs) (laughs) You had some birthday parties back then. Oh, I still have birthday parties. Are you still big on the birthday parties? I'm still big on the birthday parties. I have never known anyone in my life that was as big on their birthday parties as you. You only get one personal holiday a year. (laughs) <laughs> that's the that's your operating philosophy. That's my operating philosophy. I don't think there's enough birthday parties in the world. So, okay, so yeah, 108 came to my birthday party. It was great fun. They played the firehouse and I'm not sure where they went next. It was just it. They yeah, just... it was either they're going to sleep in the firehouse or they're going to sleep at my house and my house had hot water. <laughs> Very good. Right. Okay, so they just they just happened to be at your house on that that birthday day. Correct. And I wanted them there because it's 108 and they're on tour. You and... always had pipe cleaners at your birthday. Oh, hell yes. I just forgot. I completely forgot about that. Why were pipe cleaners a birthday treat? Pipe cleaners are, are a birthday treat because you can't just have a party and leave people without something to do. Right? Pipe cleaners are great at birthday parties because... <laughs> Dave is laughing so hard he can't even breathe right now. (laughs) Pipe cleaners are great because you can make anything you want. Oh, it's like a scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay, so you get a bunch of people together. I'm just figuring you out. No, that's not going to happen. All right. No, no, you get so a lot of people together. I'm laughing because you are like so intense about this issue. Okay. It's... I throw parties, Dave. And what I do at my parties is I come up with awesome things. And one of the awesome things is pipe cleaners because you can make them into anything that you want. And then you can talk about them. And shut up. I know it sounds terrible. Can we just have a whole new podcast? Look, I've never been to any other party where pipe cleaners were handed out. That's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I, I am happy that I have been to a, a party where we had pipe cleaners. And I think it's I think it's awesome that that means something to you, that it it's very cool. Well, it doesn't mean that much to me because I obviously forgot about it completely. Until oh, you don't. Do, I thought you said you still do it. No, I still have parties all the time. And every time I have a party, I always create a game or an activity or something that totally gets people out of their comfort zone that gets them interacting with the person next to them. I'm interested in bringing people together to interact. Right. No, and that's good. And that so, was so that was an early version of it. It was that. an early version of it, completely dorky, totally cheap, totally easy to do on a budget. And then And you get yeah, they were multicolored, weren't they? Sure. You get a package and it has lots of colors in it. You know, but it was just kind of one of these things where people could be like, look, I made this. I made this. And know? I think it just ended up being different kinds of hats and fake glasses and stuff. Definitely. Okay. Which is always fun. And so I think I have a picture of like all of us and 108 in my living room with fake pipe cleaner glasses on. It's a thing. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> was it weird having Krishnas in your house when I know that wasn't your... Uh... Your your spiritual well, take I on things. Well, I am not a member of the International Society of Krishna Consciousness, but um, it was pretty awesome. Um, I've always been very fond of people who practice religion, and I've always been very fond of allowing and making space for differences of religious belief. And so I thought it was pretty awesome that 108 would, A, form as a band, B, make a record c tour around d end up at my birthday party um because that's the natural progression that's, that's, like that's, a, that's like a pyramid that's exactly how that it happens with legs at the very top any bands out there i'm serious if you need to come to a birthday party and not play i have a birthday coming up and if you just need to come and I'll bring the craft materials and then that will be the end of your musical career because what happened to 108 after that i'm not sure no, there was some more. There was? Yeah, yeah, there was okay. a little more. <laughs> it doesn't just end. I know okay. in your in your timeline of your story of your life, yeah. that's the end of it. That is the end of it. I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> what else is on the list real quick before we get to you leaving? Um, I did all of this without a car and without access to a car. I didn't learn how to drive until 1999. All Everything that we've talked about from the beginning to now was done. Can I get a ride home? Oh, no, I remember because I, I gave a lot of those I know rides. you did. <laughs> but, like, can I get a ride home? I might as well have that tattooed across, you know, both arms and legs and just be like, can I get a ride home? The thing is, is I lived so very far away. And no, and this isn't like, I mean, if it was the East Coast or something, you would just taking trains. Sure. And, like, we have no good transportation. Mm -mm. Certainly not on the East Side. In Seattle, you could have taken buses. Yeah. But no, this was, you had, this is a place where you need a car. Right. And then, like, why on earth anyone would drive me, like, an hour away and then an hour back is completely beyond me. I don't know how that happened. It happened here and there. Well, it happened every damn night for me. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of different bunch of different drivers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I didn't learn how to ride a bike until I was 23. Um, and so Cam Johnson taught me how to ride a bike up in, uh, what's that park up on Capitol Hill? Where the the gay sex cruising park? Well, one, you're you're gesturing with your thumb and you're actually pointing towards Canada. Fantastic. So, 
I don't know the park. There's a, the so you want to know where the gay sex park on Capitol Hill? Yes, that's that's in our podcast now. Yes, because that's where he taught me how to ride a bike, and I accidentally rode the bike into two um, fellows who well, were trying to be quite discretionary. But in the bushes, yes, <laughs> this is true. Cam, yes, taught you to ride a bike, so you ride your bike. In, you, you lose control. Into you go the into the bushes. Yes, right in between two dudes. Mm. Not in between, but enough to make them jump and... One, one of them got it caught in the spokes. <laughs> no, that's terrible. That's terrible. I know, because I said it wrong. I meant to say caught in the chain. Excuse me while I vomit. Oh, oh, that's a terrible image. Well, it's, a te- it's a terrible thing, really. I mean, those guys were just trying to cry in the bushes. <laughs> so, um, and then in 1999, I moved to Olympia. I went right. to university. Which isn't that far away, but it's an hour away from Seattle. Well, it was a really hard decision mm-hmm. because at that time, um, there was a very, very large um, schism between what was happening in Olympia and what was happening in Seattle, especially with hardcore. We couldn't do hardcore shows down in Olympia. In 99? No, before that. Yeah, before that. Before that. But it was a hard choice for me because, you know, you can't see the future. Like when you're standing on the cusp of things, you can't see what's about to happen. Right. And so it was a big decision. Was I going to go to Olympia to go to college? Um, because there was no hardcore there. And it was riot girl territory. And K Records. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole different crew. And like, <laughs> I remember, um, you know, there was one time where like Kathleen Hanna and I had to like sit down and really talk it out. Like, <laughs> what, what do you, you had to talk it out? What did you yeah, have to talk out? We had to out? talk it out because she was like, you are one of the only straight edge females in Seattle. Would you please talk to me about this? And let's really get it out on the table. Like, what's what is this hardcore straight edge okay what is this riot girl where does this come together you know like hey riot girls why are you not down with hardcore straight edge hey hardcore straight edge why are you not down with riot girls right um and so like there was this kind of tension like hardcore so important to me how could i go to olympia it's gonna be so far away down the street um (laughs) you know like, will I be okay there? Will I fit in? You know, these, God, that sounds dorky. But like, I'm just going to go hide under a rock now because I'm feeling like a 12 year old. But um, we've got it. We've got a fine selection of bushes in the backyard. <laughs> I know you do. God, I'm going to go hide in them and cry. Um, So yeah, but no, it was, it was a big, it was a big concern of mine going down there um, because it wasn't my scene. It wasn't my scene. Um, but I went down there and I started to study and I, I went in beginning to study art and I changed midway and I went on to get a degree in Islamic studies because for the first time in my life, I realized I was pretty smart at something and that something was studying religion. Hmm. And so I did a lot of Old Testament studies, a lot of New Testament studies, um, and then a ton of Islamic studies. And um, so that involves like the Quran and the life of Prophet Muhammad and Islamic art and architecture and um, Islamic colonialism and um, trade and transport and um, did I say language and everything that you would imagine 
is involved with Islamic studies. And I went to school in Cairo for a while, and I went to school in Turkey for a while. And um, in the middle of that degree, I took some time off and I did a six-month backpacking trip in Madagascar, um, also hitting Kenya, Comoros, uh, Mauritius, and Rodrigues in the Indian Ocean. And then I, that, that was during September 11th, I was there. And oh, wow. um, yeah, I landed in Nairobi airport to a completely shut airport. I was in the air that day. And uh, yeah, all a lot of people here in the States don't know that every international airport on the planet closed that day. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you, there's something really creepy about arriving in a closed airport. It's... It's insane. It's just empty. Empty. Just walking through and there's Lights no one there. Lights out. Wow. Yeah. But yeah. they got to land the plane. So they, they gotta... you have to land the plane. Um, and so there was that. And then I came back and I graduated in 2003. And um, then you leave for a long time. Then I leave for a long time. Is there more before that? Or what makes you leave for a long time? What makes me leave for a long time? Um. Well, I was pretty interested in going on and maybe getting a master's degree and a PhD in Islamic studies. Uh, but then I decided I wanted to take a little bit of time off, make a little bit of money. And I had a lot of friends in Korea at the time. And I thought, oh, man, that'd be fantastic. I could take a year off. I could go to Korea. I could completely clear my head of the busyness of school and then like filter and process what I've learned and go into another degree with open eyes right. and knowing, you know, what I wanted to pursue. Um, I got to Korea and it turns out that I had a hidden talent that I didn't ever know that I'd possessed. And that was to teach language. Now, let me ask you something. When you went there, you thought you were just taking a year to mm -hmm. not work, just to chill out in South Korea. Yes, because... Korea was a place that had no Islamic connection for me. So I thought it would be an excellent opportunity to travel, to be abroad, to make a little bit of money, and to really think about what I had learned. Right. And maybe then go into another degree that way. Right. Okay. But you went there not intending to work at all. It was literally just a like a, almost like a vacation. No, no. I was intending to go for work. Oh, you were going to work? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So And you discovered that you could teach. Yeah. And not only could I, but I was really freaking good at it. I, I, I mean, you got you got great I, marks as a teacher. I don't mean to be boastful, but <laughs> I mean, really. But like, imagine walking, imagine having never baked a cake and then walking into a cooking class. And it turns out that you're astonishingly good at it. No. And you're like, dang, I'm good at this. This is a thing I'm good at. Amazing. It felt so amazing so I you stayed. Were, so you were teaching English? I was teaching English. But you didn't know how to speak Korean. Correct. I was teaching in a language immersion classroom. Okay. So my students had already acquired the basics of English grammar. And now they were in a context where they didn't just have a Korean English teacher, but they had a Korean English teacher and a native speaking English teacher. And that was me. And so you didn't ever have to understand anything in Korean to do that job. Correct. How did you... So you were speaking to another person who spoke English very well to get the job? Kind of. Um, back then you worked through, uh, uh, I guess it would be like a broker. Yeah. And so um, there'd be a school and a school wanted a native English speaking teacher and they would pay a broker a thousand bucks and the broker would find a teacher. 
And so as the teacher, I didn't have to do anything other than put my resume forward. And then that broker would plug me in with a school. Okay. That's how it used to work. It doesn't work that way now? No. How does it work now? Oh, a lot of laws have changed in Korea since then. Um, now there's a screening process. <laughs> um, now there's a... <laughs> to keep criminals from fleeing to Korea? <laughs> well, yeah, to keep criminals out of Korea. Um, and to um, just to vet the teachers more. Um, because so many people were going over who weren't teachers and who weren't interested in teaching. Right. Um, people who were just really interested in having an international experience. And honestly, that's kind of where I was at at the beginning. I mean, I was interested in teaching, but I had no teacher training. Right. Um, I had been a language learner from the time I was eight. But um, so I knew how boring language classes could be. And so I just really threw my all into helping kids learn language. And I'd been there for about six to nine months looking for hardcore before I found it. And so although I haven't been here and involved with Northwest Hardcore, I have been involved with Hardcore the entire time I've been gone. Great. So you, you connected with Hardcore people in South Korea. Definitely. And I saw you when you were in town with the geeks. Yes. Is that I think that's when we were trying to figure out what show it was with the last time we saw each other before you came back this last time. Well, I think I saw you at a Gorilla Biscuit show <sighs> at El Corazon. Oh, God, that's right. Right. Because my mom still... So I saw you twice then. I must have. Okay. Because I was at that Geek show and I was at the El Corazon show. And those were times that I'd come back for little vacations. Right. Now, right. the Geeks is impressive. So the Geeks is a, is a straight edge hardcore band from South Korea. Mm-hmm. That has that made it has made it here more than once. Yeah, yeah, and they're coming back for this is hardcore this summer. It's fantastic! They're yeah. a great band. Yeah, they did what they did South by Southwest last summer. Oh, is that true? South by Southwest. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's but that's what you don't get. I mean, has any other band from South Korea done that, or any other hardcore or punk band from there? Things we say, yes, oh, they've done Canada. So and that's another hardcore band with people you know. Yeah. Well. There's two hardcore bands in Seoul that play the kind of hardcore that I like. The Geeks, no, Things We Say and The Geeks both were straight edge bands. Ah. When I got there into Korea, we had about 15 straight edge kids. Now there's like three. Oh. Yeah. Went the other way. Yeah. But it's completely understandable with Korean culture because very oftentimes in Korea... If you... So selling out is an international phenomenon. <laughs> yes, but it's about employment in Korea. Because if you don't drink with your boss, there are bazillions of other people who would just as likely have your job. And if the boss finds some kind of disfavor with you, you're out. Okay, so and everyone so drinks and parties with their bosses to keep them liking them. Well, to keep employed. Hmm. Right. It's not about selling out. It's about um, making... It's about eating. It's like the mark of the beast. You can't make money without it. That's true. That's okay. what I've heard. All right. Yeah. Do you have your mark? Oh, I don't know. Have you been able to make money? I have. So well, I guess I do? I guess you do. No, I really haven't been able to make money. Not <laughs> right. for a long, long time. Dave doesn't have the mark of the beast. <laughs> do you? No. Okay. No. Which? <laughs> no. <laughs> It's some sort of uh, barcode, I understand. I heard it's an RFID chip. Oh, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Next, it'll be what whatever's next, that's what it'll be. Yeah. 
It'll be oh oh it might be some kind of retina. Um, oh yeah. For retina for future retina scans maybe there's an implant a retinal implant. Fantastic. That's probably it. Yeah. That's probably it. Okay, look, we had to take another break. We've just had a, a number of, of interruptions here today, so we're going to come back in. I think we've lost the thread of exactly where we just were. However, Lex told me something interesting before we started recording again, and that is that she is not known as Lex in Korea. She is known as Lexi, and I would never have called her Lexi, although I might start now. No, you won't. Okay, no, please don't. Let's tell the story of why are you Lexi in Korea? Um, because Lex has a hard consonant sound at the end. Um, if you were to spell it phonetically, it would be L-E-K-S, right? Because mm-hmm. the letter X is just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and it's yeah, that sounds so <laughs> funny. That's so funny. The letter X, so dear to my heart, in my name, but linguistically, I mean, linguistically, it's ridiculous um, because a K and an S is a real, is a much, it's it's a very nice representation of the X sound because X okay. is so infrequently used. Anyhow, it's a hard consonant sound and in Korean, it's not correct to end anything with a hard consonant sound. It just is really counterintuitive to the way that the language is set up. So... I had a choice um, when I moved to Korea. Instinctively, people led towards two different vowel endings to my name. And one was Lexi, and the other one was Lexi. And because Lexi was closer to Lex and was um, less annoying to my ears, I went with Lexi. And so in introducing myself to anyone in any context, I always introduced myself as Lexi because it would be much easier for them to try to remember what my name was in the first place. Um, also, initially, uh, the first school that I worked at, you know, I'd, I'd be there and I'd be working and my students would come into the school, Lexa, Lexa. And I was just like, oh, no. No, that's not going to happen. That That's not going to work. They would come in and yell your name? You were that kind of teacher? Oh, because they were so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. Like that you were the best part of the day. Yes. And that's really what I've, you know, tried to go for in my whole philosophy of language teaching is that I want the hour that you spend with me learning a language to be so fun and so interesting that not only is it the best hour of your day, it's also the most fun hour of your day. And that's what I go for. And so, yeah, I'm the teacher who has students like yelling, like coming down the hallway. (laughs) And so like I've, you know, over the years, I've taught everything from kindergarten, every year of elementary school. I've taught every year of middle school, high school, university, and I've taught adults. So, yeah. So how many years have you done it? I have been teaching for nine years, and then I took two years off for grad school. And you did grad school. You left Korea to go to grad school. I did. I left Korea, and I moved to Australia. How does one make that decision? Um, After having taught kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, and high school, um. I was then able to make a commitment and say, yes, this is something that I really like doing. Um, This is a career that I could pursue and wouldn't want to go home and cry every night. Um, You know, 
I find that, you know, so many people have jobs that they don't really like. And if I'm going to spend eight hours a day somewhere, mm-hmm. I want it to be awesome. Right. So after figuring out like a lot of the ins and outs of language teaching, I decided to make a very large financial commitment to going to university and studying uh, professionally so that I could teach at the university level and at all levels um, with a much more sound knowledge of the English language. So nine years in, Mm -hmm. you leave Korea. No, no. I think like six or seven years in. Okay, so we'll... But I guess what I was going to say is this. You've been in Korea for six years at least. Mm-hmm. And they've been calling you Lexi. Yes. And you go to Australia yeah. where they speak English. Yes. How many people in Australia did you tell to call you Lexi? Zero. There, you didn't even slip up once. No. You were Lex. Boom. I am Lex. I am Lex. <laughs> you were, I keep saying you were and you keep saying am. That's okay. So you weren't – because I would think that that would sound kind of cool with that Australian accent. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, let no. me ask you another okay. thing I've heard Davey, about. Davy, Davy, um, that's, that's that's awful. Does I mean, your name? If I were in, well, I think if I were. Does your name ever get better? I mean, no matter no. how awesome the Australian accent is, when they call you Davy, do you identify with that? No, I've Even... never had an Australian try to call me Davy. But by the way, I would never introduce myself as Davy. You would if your name in Korean becomes Debu, which is what it does Wait, become. With a B, with Debu. not even a V. No, there's no V. There's not? No. Debut. Debut. You can't even become So when debut. my students were running down the hall yelling my name, what would it sound like? Debut. And what's the other option? Deby. But nobody would call you Deby. That doesn't work. It would only be debut. I have no options. You have no options. So, okay. I'm fine with that. Then. Yeah. Debut. Debut. Yeah, it sounds good, actually. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I will call you Debut <laughs> so, from now on. So, um... <laughs> You're in, so you're in Australia and you're like, God, I can actually use my name. Yes. Now. now, I've heard that the Australians really dig an American accent. I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Why wouldn't you know? Um, well, they teased the living hell out of me. What for? Um, for saying that you put gas in your car um, because that's not actually true. They you, say petrol. You put petrol in your car because gas is a fume and you can't put fumes in liquid form into a car that's petrol right but we say gas in america they must yeah. know that they do but god they tease me like <laughs> i and like i still say, i think in, i think that's flirting <laughs> okay in australia um, i think they're just a one step above like hitting you on the head and dragging you by the hair there maybe maybe that's what it was um i also got really 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 um teased for calling my mother mom they thought that was the funniest thing because it's mum. It's mum? And that's why you've been saying mum all day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've just started. It's been really difficult. Like, and in Korea, you know, when I went back to Korea, like in terms of language, there's an international English which is spoken, um, which is very different than American English because it's all forms of English combined. And so... um like sometimes like last week, um, I said to someone, I said, I was talking about a friend and I said, oh, yeah, she was my university flatmate. And this American f- person was like, huh? And I was like, um, we were roommates in college. <laughs> 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 
Like, you, you, oh, you mean university flatmate? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, right. You know, where was, who was this troglodyte you were talking to? <laughs> right. But like, but in Korea, like, because there's an international English, right? You know, you know all of these things, like middle school, junior high. Well, there's no junior high in Korea. It's all middle school. Right. In Australia. College is what you would primarily refer to as what we would refer to as a high school. They had primary school. We're used to elementary school. And so there becomes like like this malleability of language and you just rock up and it's like my mom has to get some petrol. I, I don't know. For her flatmate. For her flatmate. Petrol for her flatmate. Sure. But um, I chose Australia because I'd had so many students over the years who had finished high school and had gone on to Australia for university or who mid university had gone on to Australia for more university. And it really got me thinking, you know, if I do a master's degree, how would it benefit me to do it in a country other than the United States? And there's a lot of benefits to that in that you get to experience um, non-North American English firsthand. And it really was different. When I got down there um, in the first week, in the first two weeks, I really only understood about 80% of what was being said. And I say this with open-eyed curiosity. I was so excited. Um, there were so many things, uh, you know, just in terms of, you know, like different verbs and different adjectives, but then there were also, there was like the accent. And there were a couple times when I just had to say, I'm sorry, could you please spell that for me? And, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, I've just arrived in your country. <laughs> you know, I don't actually know what you're saying. And it really gave me a lot of, I guess, compassion for non-native English speakers who learn one form of English and then have to communicate in a different context. So like Singapore, one of their official languages is English, but the form of English that they speak is different than English that you'll find in India or Scotland or Australia or New York. And so if you've got someone who's in Singapore, who's learning English and they move to Ireland, yeah, it's English, but it's very different. And so by studying the English language in a non-North American context, I was able to get a firsthand living experience of what some English language learners experience theoretically. Okay. Yeah. Just the differences in global English. Okay. And this is what you were doing while you were in Australia. Yes. And you did it for two years. I did. You never intended to stay there. I intended to stay there. Um, I absolutely fell in love with Australia in a way that I didn't know was possible. When I got there, I felt like that was my place. Like nowhere else on the planet did I feel more like that was where I should be. The only other time that I can recall feeling that good in my life was at the height of my involvement with hardcore here in Washington state. Nice. Yeah. And the all ages music scene. Do, do you intend to go back to Australia? I would love to. Um, the immigration laws change all the time, but um, oddly enough, Australia doesn't need linguists and doesn't need um, non-citizen language instructors. 
Um, there's lots of jobs for Australians who have the same experience that I do, but they are there are some really interesting laws and ordinances in place for people who are seeking employment and who are seeking permanent residence in Australia. Right. Just hard to do. Yeah. Just hard to do. Um, it would be as difficult for me to permanently live in Australia as it would be for anyone who isn't part of the Commonwealth. So Canadians, move to Australia, no problem. After um, you get done, you can't stay there. Correct. So you need options. Yes. And your options somehow lead you... To Korea. Wait, no, back to Korea. I know, this is so funny. So I have a great friend. His name is Victor Ha, and he sings for Things We Say. And he and his wife run an after-school school. And um, his wife is in this story, she's pregnant and she wants to have some maternity leave. And so Victor said to me, hey, what about your mom? Would she be willing to come in and cover for Tammy? And uh, my mom was game and Victor was game. And so this was Victor and Tammy's third baby. And all the daughters were under the age of six. So... Tammy stayed home. My mom was working for them. And I talked to my mom and I said, hey, I don't really know where on the planet I can go right now. Can I come and stay with you while I look for work? And she said, yep. So I went and stayed, then was looking for employment around the world. And I got a job, happened to get a job in Korea at a women's university a couple hours south. So um, my mom left Korea. I stayed and worked, and now I'm back. So you stayed and worked for what? How many years? Uh, two. Two more years. Okay. Yeah. And so that's eleven years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you come back to the states. Eight weeks ago. Eight weeks ago. Yeah. You start making noise. I'm I'm here. I'm I actually am where you are again. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing people are you know I know people that have seen you before I saw you. Yeah. I know that people have run into you. Yeah. Um. And so now you're you're home, basically just settling back into home and feeling yeah. home. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Um. It's it's really wild. I'm having a lot of reverse culture shock. Reverse culture shock. Yeah. Um, so talk about a couple of those things because no one here is going to be surprised about like the things that are normal in America. But when they hear about the reasons why they're strange to you now that you've been away for 11 years, that might be interesting. Okay. Um, two days ago, I went to Costco and um, you can get medicine for your pets, like prescription medicine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have medicine for pets there. <laughs> <laughs> Animals live outside. <laughs> There's no pets? Not really. Uh, they're food. Yeah. Do they eat dogs? Yeah. They do. There's no pet dogs. There are pet dogs, but pet dogs really are um Maltese dogs almost exclusively are the pets in Korea. And they eat everything else. Well, there is a national dog, which is a Jindo, um and that's the national dog and you cannot kill and eat those ones. Um, but there's Donkey, which is the poop dog, which is every other dog. Wait, and- every other type of dog is a is is a poop dog, mm-hmm. and that Donkey means poop dog. Yes. And so my Chihuahua is a poop dog. Well, that's a, that's a tricky thing. See, the thing is, is that we're using linguistic terms and language that was really around before the 1950s. Like before the 1950s, you had Jindo. 
and you had dogs that weren't Jindo. Right. Right? Jindo is a purebred Korean dog. Right. All other dogs are just dog dogs. Okay. Right? And so then you get the introduction of... So it's a real nationalist thing. Yeah. Yeah. Eat all the other countries' dogs. No. <laughs> eat, the, eat the miscellaneous dogs. <laughs> We're saying the same thing, right? You're just saying yeah. it with different words? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. So... Um, how is it? How... Are you asking me if I've eaten a dog, Dave? I was trying to trick you into that it. Was, that, Dave, I've been vegetarian I, I, as long I, as I've been straight. I cannot tell you what it's like there's to eat no, a dog. There's no, like, when in Rome? No. Like, taste the dog? I didn't even eat the bondegi. Like, bondegi is an insect. Like, it would have been much easier to eat the bondegi than it would have been to eat the dog. Bondegi? Bon? Bon? Bondegi? Deggy? I could What be. kind of insect is it? This is a silkworm larva, which is cooked... And it is sold in a cup on the street. Um, it's a single one? No, lots of them in a cup. Okay. Lots of them. Um, they're maybe the size of your thumbnail. And um, they look a little bit like cockroaches, kind of. And they're roasted. And um, they're sold, like, I don't know, like every 20 blocks, there'll be a Bondiggy vendor. Is it kind of like when someone tries to make, like, roast pumpkin seeds? A little bit, Yeah. But they're really, they're a super, super high content source of protein. You haven't eaten these. No. no you didn't even try them. No. Okay. No. Um, I have no interest in eating insects. Okay. I just, for the record, I want to get that out there. No interest. <laughs> so they actually, somewhere they have bon, Bondi. We can get They've it. They've got farms, right? Yeah. But we can get Bondigia in cans up here at the Buhan Mart and at H Mart and G Mart. The Korean markets like right out here. There are Korean markets close to my home. I can get yeah. insects. I can get canned insects. Yeah. But see, the thing is, is that. I wouldn't know how to read the labels. I can help you. Do they have, do they show the, the yeah. little cockroachy things on that label? Yeah. Think about cockroaches' stomachs. I, I they, You're not, there's no antennas. These are like pupa. And oh. the whole thing is that these are sold not as a legitimate source of protein now. They're sold as a nostalgia food. So when protein was hard to come by. Like, it's like, remember when we ate bugs? Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. So you're having a hard day at work today, Dave, yeah. and I'm your boss, and um, the project's not going well. I'm going to take you by the arm. We're going to go down, down the street. We're going to get out to the corner. We're going to find the nearest Bondegi salesperson, and we're going to get some Bondegi, and we're going to eat it. And we're going to remember why we're working so hard. Wow. Okay. Remember where you came from, Dave. Remember what your parents and your grandparents had to go through to get you to the part where you are working for this company. And that's the primary reason you can go out on the corner and buy that stuff? Yeah, it's nostalgia food. It's, okay. And some people genuinely like it like a snack. But it's sold primarily as a nostalgia food. To not forget what the nation has gone through in the last 75, 65, 50 years. So because people had to eat bugs because things were bad a long time ago. Things were so bad. At a, at a hard time. I there cannot was a time stress had to eat bugs. how bad it was. So that would be like the people that survived that plane crash in the Andes, like every once in a while eating a little, eating a little bit of a person. 
No. To remember how bad it was when they were starving and there were dead people that they could eat. Mm, no. It's not like that? No. That's not the same thing. Not the same thing. <laughs> All right. I know where you were trying to go. That was so, you, you got you're, so close to pulling that off, Dave, and you just didn't. Because <laughs> I'm talking about national waves of famine due to the Soviets and the United States communism war on a korean peninsula complete desolation i mean the u.s bombed seoul i mean they had to eat bugs that was their number one source of protein for years right but so i guess what i'm saying is <laughs> now they eat bugs as a snack food to remember that to remember so, what they went through before uh, what they as a nation went through i'm just choosing to Go forward right now with the part of me that can ridicule this. There's another part of me that thinks what you're saying is awesome. Okay. <laughs> and thinks that maybe as a culture, we actually could have a little bit more of that and a little yeah. bit of understanding of the past and the hardships that people went through. And yeah. maybe just the struggles that like, say, women went through to gain women's rights so mm -hmm. that we don't march that back the way we have been. And and. Everything else. I mean, every other thing that we've come to in this country that we're at a level of comfort with now, maybe don't think too much about how we how we came to that point. Maybe if there would be a high protein corner snack that could remind us of how we got to where we are now as a nation in the United States in terms of equality for so many groups. Yeah, I'd eat that snack if it wasn't a bug. Right. What's I don't know what snack that would be. I don't either, but. Um, almonds are nice. They're about the same size. We should designate almonds as our national, <laughs> as our national remembrance food. Brazil nuts are pretty good too. But and we could say, hey, these could be bugs. Right. <laughs> I think that's how they should be marketed. <laughs> hey, these could be bugs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I'm with you there. So that's that is kind of a trip. So that's what's another reverse culture shock thing. We got a couple more minutes okay. here, and then we're gonna we're gonna call it a day. Okay. Um, so what's something else? Well, we've got trees here that are like seven, eight, nine stories. Um, but we don't have apartment buildings that are that tall, <laughs> you know, um, Seattle's such a small city. Seoul, we've got 22 million people, right? That's the entire population of Australia. Right. And that, and Seattle is like the size of my pinky finger now. And it's like <laughs> compared to what? Seoul. So, okay, if, if Seattle is your pinky fingernail, mm -hmm. how big is Seoul? Your whole hand? Uh, n no, kind of more like my torso. Really? Yeah. It's it, that big? It's huge. How do you get across it? Well, it's up. It, the buildings go up. The buildings go up. Okay. Yeah, and you get across it by subway and bus and taxi. People, there's such a, there's such a steep tax for, um, for vehicles mm -hmm. in the city of Seoul because there's not enough... There's not enough uh, places for the vehicles right. to go. So for every personal vehicle, there's two to three taxis. Okay. So there's taxis everywhere. It all starts at $2.80 when you get in. It's very nice. <laughs> uh, the buses are fantastic. The subway system is astonishingly amazing. Um, yeah, Seattle's very teeny and very green and very blue. And there's a lot of animals um, that you can just see other reverse culture shock things are being able to overhear conversations without trying. Um, oh, because you tune out the language you don't know. Yeah. What's really great about learning languages as an adult is that 
you can tune it out when you don't want to hear it. You know, whereas as a native English speaker, I can't help but instantly read every single written word that I see around me and I can't help but overhear every conversation. Um, so yeah, when I would ride the bus in Korea, I could just tune it all out. Um, music on the radio, in the car. Um, oh yeah, also driving is so different here. I drove in Korea, but like driving here is completely different. Um, but the music on the radio is really interesting because it's all in English and I can hear all of the words and it's about nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing. It's lots of words together. That's nothing. That's a big surprise. You th what did you think? Well, I mean, I thought songs would be about something at least. Okay. I know. But are, so are all the songs profound over there? No, they're just in Korean. So you don't know what they're singing. They're <laughs> right. just singing the same nothing, probably. You're right. You told me, okay, I believe this is when the Geeks were playing in West Seattle. Okay. You were back in town. This, is, this would have been after you'd been gone for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, I think you told me that if you if people here knew what Korean cell phones were actually like, it would blow their minds. They mm -hmm. were so far technically advanced yes. of what we had. Yes. Now, this is when we were all using flipper phones and we were all playing Snake, I think, on, on our cell phones here. Snake was a video game with a little thing runs around. That's the over-the-head signal again that she's doing. But anyway, we were all just had very simple phones. And I remember you were like, people wouldn't believe me if I told them what, what phone, cell phones were like in Korea. So... I didn't, I don't think I even had a cell phone when you had that conversation with me or I had just gotten one. I, I didn't even think to ask, although I told someone that story and they wanted to know specifically which features at the time. So I want to know right now, what was so advanced about Korean cell phones and is it still the case? Are they still like way, way ahead of us on the tech? They are way, way ahead of us on the tech. Okay. Because they can be, it's a country that's the size of Western Washington. Okay. You have a unified, tiny, tiny space where everything runs on the same systems. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to build up a tiny, tiny space rather than a vast, vast space. Sure. So what, is, so what does that give them in their cell phones? Everything. Everything. Did they just have better cameras before we did? Everything is integrated. Uh, okay, like your phone could, okay, so you use your phone on the subway to get on the subway and get off the subway and you use it on the vending machines and you use it at the grocery store. And when I say use it, I mean you you, you swipe your phone to pay for things. Okay. Right? There's a little bit of that here now. It's starting to happen. I'm yeah. seeing it. But everything. But they were doing pay that phones. years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Pay phones. You swipe your phone to use a pay phone? Sure. Why don't you call on your phone? I don't know. You're right. That doesn't make any sense. You're laughing at me. I'm laughing at the situation. Did I? I love what the idea. What am I thinking? I love the idea that you could swipe your... Oh, no, 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 no. I... Oh, God. I, I just got two things. There's something called T-Money, and T-Money is the subway card. Right. Okay. So... If you have the subway, I just, that was me getting confused. If you've got the subway card and you've got money loaded on your subway card, mm -hmm. you can use it. You can use that to pay for the payphone. Okay. That's well, what I meant. Um, yeah. But you can put the subway. Okay. Where I got confused is that you can get that subway card just in your phone. 
So that's where I So was. realistically, you actually could swipe your phone to make a payphone call. Yes, you can. I imagine that that is accurate, but though you don't ridiculous. A, you don't need a burner phone because you still make it an untraceable call, right? I don't know what a burner phone is. <laughs> burner phone is like a phone that wouldn't be attached to your name. So if you needed to make like a call, like no one could trace you, like you make the call and you throw the you throw the phone in the trash. <laughs> She's giving me the over her head thing. It would be a cell phone that's like a single use or or a short time use cell phone that is not trackable to you as a person. Okay. So that phone calls. Can, yeah. For criminal reasons. I've needed those so often in my life that I just know what they're called. It's something that gets referenced. <laughs> it's been on shows. It's been on television shows. And now it is often referenced in comedy. here. Okay. So let's so. play a game called Ask Lex <laughs> Cultural References. <laughs> What was your favorite Miley Cyrus song? I something with a wrecking ball. Okay, well that's that's weird. so that she she's made it international. Okay, give me another one. Oh, I don't know country music. It exists in America. That's it, right? There's yeah. no country music anywhere else. Well, in Australia, but it's Australian country music. So it's Australian music. Well, yeah, like does it sound like American country? A little bit. Oh. It's country music. I don't care enough about country to okay. want to know whether Australian music that is Australian country is based on American country. Okay. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say in bringing this up is that um, there are a lot of movies and cultural references and television programs and songs and famous people and concepts that I'm completely not familiar with at all. Right. Um, which is very awkward. Um, being a fully adult person and being like, could you tell me what that is? And well, then you're, people you're... look at me and I'm like, yeah, but I haven't. Okay. Okay. Here you go. I went to get a cell phone and the guy, uh, cell phone programs and cell phone coverage and carriers are different in every country. I know the Australian system. I know the Korean system. They're very different from what we've got here in the States. And I rocked up and I was like, I need to get a phone um, and I'd like to be able to call people at any time. Can I do that? Can I have the same price for calling people all the time? <laughs> and they were like, yes. And you can also call anyone you want. And I was like, yeah, of course I would call anyone I want. And they're like, yeah, but anywhere. And I'm like, does it cost more to call to Oregon? And they were like, no, you can call any phone in America for the same price at any time. Yeah. And I was like, mer? Because that's not how it is there, huh? No, that's not how I left. When I left, the only people who had cell phones were Soto and people <laughs> and people who had phones for work. Right. You mean when you left America, no one had cell phones Yeah, at that all. was 2003. Okay. Um, like you were rich, you were Soto, or you had one for work. And maybe you were Soto and you were rich and you used yours for People work. People were starting to get cell People phones. People were starting to get cell phones. But, um, yeah, it was still like you have to pay long distance if you're going to call, you know, Montana. Who would you call in Montana? Why is that? Why did I use that reference? Because but... it's just people. there are <laughs> people that live in Montana. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, you could have family there. Okay. There's a reason. <laughs> it's not a bad. It's not a bad choice to just pick Montana. It's okay. Yeah. I'll go with no, it. No, I've got friends. In I know Montana. you think I'm going to make fun of you at every. I little do. Thing. That whole 1994 <laughs> thing just threw me off track. You're like, why was 1994 important? I was like, 
because it was. <laughs> I will. I will offer this service to you, though. Okay. Um, when you don't understand a cultural reference, yeah, just text me or call me. Okay. Text is probably better. Yeah. But um, and I'll try to get back to you and explain what it was. I probably if you're waiting somewhere. Yeah. I'm not usually. I maybe not be that. Like if, I might end up able to get right back to you right that minute. I appreciate this. But um, I'll just just so you know, I'll try to refill those those cultural references before you leave again. I don't plan on leaving anytime soon. You're here for the, the long haul. I'm here for the long haul. Okay, so it's it's time for you. You're yeah. back now. It's time for you to figure out how to how to get back into it. I'm trying to get back into it. So um, I went to a really, really fantastic rally against the animal lab that's being built at the University of Washington. Nice. That was fantastic. Got hooked back in with people who are fond of animals. Cool. That was fantastic. Um, Casey and Anika mm-hmm. and some other people who I don't know uh, if you know them or if um, our friends who are listening know them, but just a lot of awesome people. Wendy Colton from the old firehouse, Sarah Russert um, from amazing hardcore awesomeness. To see you broken. Yes. Now some kind of a monster bodybuilder who I think will beat me up. Yes. She and won't beat me up, but she could. She could. Yeah. <laughs> she would arm wrestle you into the grave. I think so. Yeah, I think she would. Right. I would die from arm wrestling. I think you would. <laughs> And I'm prepared to see this. No, I'm not. I'm not into it. Yeah. I, I'm not going up against little Sarah anytime soon. She's awesome. Yeah. Everybody who was there was pretty awesome. Um, so getting back to hooked up with that um, and really just trying to um, find my footing. Um, I left after university. I spent a massive chunk of my life overseas and I'm trying to get reacclimated and it's awesome. There's so many things to get involved with here. And, yeah, but so, for, every, and for everything that you don't know, yeah. you've gained some kind of international knowledge that is probably more valuable than the BS that just people get day to day here without any, without expanding their minds or learning about other cultures or anything. So really, you'll catch up to speed with America in a little bit and be like, whatever. But then everyone around you is still going to be dumb. Yeah, and I got a hella fat passport, too. It, it was so I used it so much I had to get an addendum put in. So it's like double thick. Yeah, you got a double thick passport. I got a double thick passport with almost all the pages used. Nice. So, yeah, I was able to uh, should be rap lyrics. I feel <laughs> maybe maybe I, th- I think that would be a really good idea. Um, I would say that um, of all the things that I'm really proud of, if I can like put my hand on a tangible thing that I can touch, it's my passport. Because it really shows what I've done with my life. Cool. Physically. Like, I can look at that and I can say, all right, there's that. All right, there's that. All right, there's that. What you got? Yeah. Seriously, bring it. I've got this passport, which has now expired. I need to get a new one, but it's kind of nice. (laughs) So now you got to go back to a regular passport. I know. And I hate the new ones because they have all these dorky pictures on the pages. Um. You know, like, look at this bear eating this fish, and here's the Statue of Liberty, and there's this cactus. Um, that's that's a passport. That's a passport, but the old-timey one didn't look like that. Okay. So let me uh, let me say, in summing up... Yes. In what, summary... What have we not uh, gone over? We have not talked about photography. Oh, my God. We have not talked about the undertow tour to California that we went on together. You were in the back of that truck... I was sitting next to you in the front seat. You never in the back? 
No, I was in the back, but I I really remember. Is this a time to talk about this? Because that was like oh, one we of can't. The, we're gonna what we're gonna do it quick. Okay, that was one of the first times I saw the sunrise in my life. What it, what are you talking about? You were an adult person. You never saw the sunrise. I'm not a morning person. Adult just, person and morning let, person are two different did, things. You Dave. had to get up and go to school. No, maybe you didn't. You had to get up and go to high school. You must have seen the sunrise. Nope. I had seen the sunrise maybe three times in my life prior to that. And we got, <laughs> I was working at the PCC. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but it was like one of these things like Lex, undertow tour. If you want to come, be here in 45 minutes. I didn't make that call. Who made that call? Ron. Oh, Ron Gardafee? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who's famous for phone calls like this? Yes. Excuse me. I'm about to change your life. Please be here in 45 minutes. <laughs> and so you you did it. Yeah. So I got, I, I was just like, sorry, PCC. I love your food. I'm going to come back and sell vegan things to people later. And boom. And boom. I packed my backpack and um, it. we did this tour in a truck. And there were three people sitting in the front and a lot of people in the back of the truck laying down. <laughs> and, uh, and we drove to California and came and back. We drove to California and came back. And um, there was a time, I'm not sure if everybody else was asleep or if it was me and you and Ron up in the front seat, but we watched the sun come up. And I remember um, thinking that I'm, if I were to die today, that would be one of the top five experiences in my life. Wow, that's awesome. Because it felt so good to be in a truck so quickly. Like it it just was just a weird opportunity where I was able to go and we were all in this truck and we, you know, there wasn't a lot of notice and we just went and I got to go to the Gilman. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like one of those things that you always hear about and this was before Tim moved up to Washington State and he had, you know, the shirts. If you're not now, you never were. And I bought one. And uh, it was great. That was the, the trip that we met Tim on. Is was that it, right? Was it? I, I remember I met him selling shirts at that show. Yeah. And prior to that, I took pictures for the Undertow Empire. Oh, you, there's a ton of pictures that you took that ended up in different undertow things, right? You yeah. took a number of, you took pictures at lots and lots of shows. Yeah, tons of shows. Eventually, we're going to raid your storage unit and I'm going to get all your negatives. Yeah, because I did this all on um, black and white film and I was doing it with a film camera mm -hmm. and I was developing the film myself and I printed all the photos myself and in my darkroom. And I'm assuming there were photos you didn't print. There's tons of photos I didn't print. Because of the cost. Uh, yeah. Also, and I've discovered this looking through my negatives, mm -hmm. um, there's lots and lots of just extra photos you take, photos of friends, photos of something in your room because you won't think it's that important. And then 25 years later, you look at the negative and go, I need to see that desktop. What is that stuff in this negative? And it's very cool to see just a random part of your life kind of come back in, a, in an image. Yeah. Or like, oh, here's a bunch of funny pictures of some friends where we were hanging out. I didn't spend the money to develop this because I was just blown off the last three pictures on this roll so I could get the undertow photos from yes. the show. I want those pictures now. Yeah. And so I'm getting them off mine, but we can get them off yours too. I like that. And I just want to say, I just want to go back and rewind a little bit. It wasn't my darkroom. I did all of my film stuff at home, um, my processing and the like. Do you always lie first? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's that's my policy is to lie first and then backpedal. Um <laughs> 
I used the darkroom at my high school right. for the actual printing. Sure, but, but you it, did the work. That was the I thing. Did, you weren't taking it to a lab. No, I didn't even know where I could find a lab. <laughs> I just did it. You know, if you if you wanted to take pictures, you had to do it yourself. If you That's... wanted to take as many pictures as I was taking. <laughs> right. Now, I was taking pictures, but I was I was using a crappy point and shoot and just going to film stop and saying, just give me the negatives. I'll pick the ones I want to print to save money. Nice. And they don't look like yours. Yours look good. Mine look like I just needed something to do. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, look, even with the stuff we're going to edit out of this, yeah, yeah. which is going to be substantial, we're still way long. So we unfortunately have to cut this short. It's been a long conversation. I've but been talking to you too long. It's <laughs> Oh, touche. <laughs> <laughs> now we're doing a little fist bump. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you're home. I'm glad I'm you're able to come and do this. It's great seeing you Extremely glad to be here. And thank you for coming and doing the show. Thank you, Dave. I love you, Lex. I love you. Bye. All right, there it is. I won't keep you guys on here much longer. That was a long one. Thank you for coming along all the way to the end. I love talking to Lex. I have always loved talking to Lex. Lex is a character unlike, well, unlike anyone else I know. And it was just a joy to see her again after all these years. I think you can hear that all through the episode. That was some of the most fun I've had with a friend in a long time. So that was great. I don't have any corrections. There may be some. You know what? If you were listening and you know of some corrections, send it in to us at nobody'snosdl at gmail.com. That's our email address for right now, at least for now, for contacting us. Doug Lawless will get in touch with you, or he'll answer the message, or maybe I'll bring up what you have to say in a corrections section on a uh, future episode. Anyway, as usual, follow us on uh, Twitter at nosynobody. Come to the website, www.nobodysnose.com. Check out all the blog posts. I'm not probably going to have an episode up this week after this one comes out. I'm going to put up a couple more articles on the website, some other stuff that I've been working on. I just imagine with Rainfest coming up this weekend, I'm really not going to get a chance to sit down and do another interview right away. But that's not for sure. You can't say for sure what's going to happen. Another thing I'm going to do is, as I talk to people, you'll notice a lot of times we're talking about these different records, different records that my guests were involved in, different records that I was involved in putting out, or projects that we worked on. And in some cases, I still have some of that stuff laying around from over the years from doing Excursion. Excursion Records is gone, but I still have some of the old stuff that I had for Distro and then I put out myself. So there's going to be a store category opening up on the website very soon, and I will note the episode that some of these things were um, mentioned in and I'll let you know how many copies I have left if you want to pick up a copy for your own collection if you're like oh I don't have that and you're a completionist or if you just want to do it to support the podcast because that's money that will go towards you know hosting for this stuff which isn't crazy expensive but you know it's money so there'll be some other stuff in there you know as we grow I'll probably get some shirts and some other things and who knows what will happen? This is inspiring all types of schemes. So, yeah, keep checking the website, www.nobodysknows.com. And see you next time. Thanks.
This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris. 